Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. With me today, I have Josh Torres. After thinking about it, I think Guel Turk is a good, cool name. Uh, we have Adam Vitali. What about Farigaraf? We have James Galizio. I don't want to say that name out loud if I can help it. <laughs> and uh, Chaman Wu. How's it going? Uh, Josh, was that name a, a Gundam character name? Who was that? Yeah, that's from the new series, The Witch from Mercury. One of the characters' names is Guel Jeturk. I have not watched that yet, but from what I understand, it uh, it has more of a canon uh, lesbian romance than 13 episodes of uh, Like a Recoil. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, <aren't laughs> Orphan has a lesbian couple. Yeah. But I never I, know that unless I, you watch the whole series. I told a friend that, like, I've heard this described as basically Utena. Do you want to watch it? And she was like, uh, sure. And then she's like, no, this is basically Utena. Let's watch some Utena clips now. <laughs> Even <laughs> the art style has kind of got a shoujo art style to it, really. Well, one of the writing talents on it is uh, from Utena. I don't remember the name, though. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, yeah, one of the writers is like, I think they did the novelization of Utena or something like that. And I was looking right. into it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's a, it was an interesting first episode. That's what we're working on. This, is, this is why you all tune into Witch the Tetracast. <laughs> yeah. So you can talk about which every week we'll check in on which of which from Mercury and let's go Orleans. finally challenge our time. <laughs> it's, it's really convenient. There's exactly three companies in in the new Gundam series, and Quentin said it might be end up like Fire Emblem Free Houses. Which corporation is she's gonna help out? We'll see. Uh so this week uh, has actually been quite a bit. Uh, heavy on the news front that was a little bit surprising we got a lot of news out of uh, a little bit out of nintendo uh some out of square enix a lot out of cd project well in a way we'll talk about that uh in the game release front it's been a little bit slower but uh we have a lot looking forward to for the last later half of the uh, month and i know that at least two of us here have spent some time looking at some newer kind of indie or like double a games i know some people hate double a but i don't know like what else to call that that kind of tier of development. Uh, so we'll have a couple of different titles that we don't normally uh, put space for on the podcast here as we wait for late October releases like Star Ocean, the Divine Force and uh, Persona ports on PC. More on that later. Uh, we also have a bunch of features that have gone up on the site uh, over the, the last week. Some of these we kind of preempted last week on the podcast and James wrote up a, a few of these. Some of these are also some things that we weren't expecting. Uh, but what we're going to start out with is a game that is releasing in the next week but if you pre-order it you can get like early access like three days early so it comes out tomorrow effectively and that is a game called asteragos curse of the stars now i know we've talked about this game in a very newsy format on the podcast previously but obviously it's not like a, a heavy hitting title but this is something that adam has started um and we're going to let him talk about it in kind of a preview sense here. It's kind of a it's kind of an interesting situation with the game's release, but having a pre-order that allows you to play it early and having a demo that's available now. So any of you listening can play it early as well. Uh, so, Adam, what is Asteragos Curse of the Stars like and why what basically why should people care about it? Why does it matter? I mean, well, first of all, you are pronouncing it correctly. I remember when you just read oh, it the is? word. No, you are pronouncing it correctly. When you read the word, oh. like with like a with like an American English like mindset, you might think like Asterigos or something. But you gotta remember, it's like set in like a Greco-Roman type setting. 
So you kind of have have to have like a Greco-Roman type mindset when reading the word. Like, oh, okay, it's Asterig. That was totally at the front of my mind when I was reading that. I was like, Greco-Roman. Yes. Anyways, um, so this is a game. It's an indie game. And it's from a studio called Acme Game Studio. I looked it up. They're based in Taiwan. And this is their first project. And it sounds like they basically formed in 2016. And this is their first game. Not saying the game was in development that long, but, you know, they probably had plans for it when they formed. Um, so it's been a while, a long time coming. So what this game is, it's an action RPG, uh, like I said, in a Greco-Roman type setting. So lots of legionnaires and, uh, you know, that sort of uh, architecture with like the granite pillar. Yeah, centurions, chariots, shields, spears, things like that. And um, this game is an action RPG and I'm just going to come out and say it, it does borrow some elements from Souls-like games, but not all of them. So you could call it maybe a Souls-lite instead. Um, what I mean by that is, uh, I'll get to the story premise stuff later, but you are out on a relatively interconnected open world. You know, it's not open world, but like interconnected zones um, in the game. And you don't get, you don't get a map. And throughout the world, you find these, I actually don't even remember what they're called. I think they're called conduits, and that basically act as bonfires. That's where you heal, and that's where if you activate them, the enemies around you respawn. And there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, once you are navigating through the, the, the world, you find a shortcut, so back to an earlier place. So things like that. You know, it's got that sort of structure to it. Um, now, what the game actually is, like in terms of its premise, you play as a young female warrior uh, I forget what uh, you're, you're, you're from, like a tribe um, named Hilda. She's kind of a redhead, got some, has a braided uh, ponytail sort of thing. You might have seen uh, some of the key art for it because she's the main character that you play as. And you are investigating a cursed city uh, known as Aspes, I believe. And the curse is the curse of Asteragos. That's hence the title of the game. So this is a city that's basically been like locked in time for a thousand years. And there's other weird things happening in the city. Like, for example, there's a cult of people that they worship some deity and they turn into werewolves. Uh, yeah, it's very Greco-Roman there. Um, and there's lots of other things that you kind of figure out as you go through the city. Um, and you're searching for your father, who basically came to investigate the city before you. So you're not only investigating your city, the city, but you're like, where did my dad go? And um, the game itself, I saw the trailer that was released for it last week it's like a five minute kind of gameplay trailer showing some of the action combat and things like that so you have six weapon types uh there's like hammer sword and shield spear and so on and you can equip two at a time and basically depending on which two you have equipped you have like various combos kind of interchanging between the two and i saw this gameplay trailer last week and i actually thought hey this looks actually pretty good or at least halfway decent and then kind of alongside that the pr is like hey do you want to review this game you know, we're, we're offering codes for it. I'm like, yeah, let me give it a shot. Now, that, that puts me in a slightly weird spot where I am embargoed to talk about some things, even though the game itself is already out if you have, if you pre-ordered. So, yeah, you're in kind of a weird spot because, like, there's a demo available on Steam now, so you can play it now. The game comes out, what, the 11th? So if you get three-day pre-order access, you can literally play it, like, now or soon. By the time this podcast is published and anyone's listening to it, you can play it if you pre-order it. But the embargo is not until Tuesday. So, eh. I don't yeah, know. I'm not too kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. But um, so in terms of the game itself, your leveling up is more traditional. It's not like a Souls game where you collect souls or whatever and, 
you know, spend them on some sort of, you know, stat system. But uh, you level up more traditionally with like an EXP meter and things like that. And you have a, a skill tree with your six different weapon types um, that you can, that you basically spend points that you get and you level up to go through. So some of the uh, like stat progression sort of systems are more traditional RPG-ish sort of things. It's more the world structure itself that just kind of borrows some ideas from Souls games. Um, I kind of hate that I've said Souls so many times, but it, you know, just got that structure to it. And I actually wasn't really expecting that going in. Um, How do you always get stuck about, on these? Like you did, like Steel Rising just now, and the Surge. Not the calling is to play the games. All these uh, <laughs> not Souls Souls games. Yeah, I, I, I like the saga of you like being like a, a Souls like games expert, but that never actually touching like the main Souls games yourself. Yeah, That's I guess good. it's a good shtick. Um, the one part about the game that I'm kind of like most lukewarm on is I don't really care about the story that's going on. It, you know, there's some interesting kind of just like on a surface level thing, like, oh, cool, there's cultists that turn into werewolves. But like, I don't actually care about like really what's happening here. Um, and but that's does, fine. Is that I, I, I usually at all. No, nah, not really. Like, I'm, I usually play these sorts of games more for, you know, the exploration and the combat and the questing and things like that. So the story stuff is good enough. Like, it's not like drawing me in like, oh, I have to really figure out what happened here. But, you know, um it's good enough. It's fine. Uh, you can, this game, even though it is an indie title, um, and, you know, the developer refers to themselves as indie, so I'm not, like, slapping that label on them. That's kind of their self, self-definition self there. But it, it has, it looks pretty good, and it seems pretty sizable for, you know, a debut game from a new studio based in Taiwan. Um, but there are some places where the budget is apparent, and that's specifically in things like cinematics, and also like voices. The voice acting is again fine. Um, it's English, uh, and the um, a lot of the dialogue is given just through like your character model speaks to another character model, and just like through text boxes at the bottom. There's no like cinematics. There's not even a whole lot of like art. Um, you know, pretty like bare bones stuff. But that's you know, I kind of accept that for like the scope of the game. It is. It's fine. It's just not going to have like a lot of you know choreographed scenes or cutscenes at all really or things like that and also it's it's the type of game where only like some main story like dialogues are voiced and there's a lot of unvoiced dialogue even things that are like significant quests or even some story moments are just not voiced so there's some things like that where it's like okay this is an indie game with a limited budget so you kind of have to go into the game if you decide to play it with sort of that you know mindset but otherwise you know it's actually I'm going to, at this point, this is, I don't know if this is high praise or not. I'm going to say this is a halfway decent game. It's like, it's better than I expected. I kind of want to see where it goes from here. It's about on the same level. Steel Rising has definitely got more budget behind it and a lot more polish and it looks better. Like, and just in terms of visual fidelity. Um, I feel like this game is, one of the things I didn't like about Steel Rising was um, uh, the environments in Steel Rising they kind of blend together. There's a lot of Parisian streets where you're just kind of like, what street am I on? Where am I? Where am I going? And uh, <laughs> you even get the little experience. way markers uh, to, to help you out. This game, you don't get a map. There are no way markers. Uh, so like, but, and I, but I feel like this game does a better job in like its area design in terms of uh, like landmarks and you know vistas and things where you kind of know where you are just based on the environment and there's not a lot of whole lot of semi areas 
for the most part. There's like a cave area that gets a little bit worse, but like like the, the city streets and things like that in here, I almost feel like I have a better sense of where I'm going, even without way markers or a mini map or things like that. Um, the combat is... A, it's, the combat is fun. It's not like super in-depth, but there's a fair bit of flexibility in terms of like I'm going sword and shield and hammer are the two weapons I chose to go with. Sword and shield because I like being able to block and there's some cool charges you can do with that. And hammer is kind of like my, my damage dealing weapon. And I haven't even messed around with like the spear or the uh, gloves. You have like you can be a punch girl if you want, um, which that's always fun, but I haven't really messed with it. So I think it's, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, I'll, I want to see where it goes from here. But it's definitely not a bad game. And, you know, I don't know. If, I think it's longer than I expected it to be. And I wonder if it'll, if I'll run into the problem of it feeling like too long, like not, you know, stretching out what content is there. But we'll see. I'm about 10 hours in right now. Um, I'm not, and based on the in game, uh, like there's like an in game log that kind of tells you like how many things you've done. It seems like I'm roughly halfway through, um, maybe a third of the way through. So maybe like 20, 25, 30 hours. Um, I'll see. I'll now follow you did up mention, on this next week, I guess. Go ahead. You did mention that like one of the news bits that we have later that we'll just introduce now is they did release a gameplay overview trailer, which was basically my first real extended look at the game, actually paying attention to it. Like, I know I've read this game in a headline before, but I'll be honest, it was kind of there's been enough going on this year that's kind of in one year out the other. And then when it, you obviously describe this as a Souls like and again, or Souls light and again, I know that's just uh, almost unavoidable these days. But when I watch this, the two, like, I start thinking, like, it almost looks Zelda-ish or Darksiders-ish. Do you get that feeling at all? I guess you haven't played Darksiders. Yeah, I didn't really mention how the game looks other than the Greco-Roman style. It's got, like, a slightly stylized art style to it where it's, they're not realistic. It's not anime style. It's not cel-shaded. But, um, you know, the characters have, like, slightly bigger heads and shoulders and you know, actual human proportions and things like that. So it's got like a slightly cartoony style to it, um, which maybe is reminiscent of something like, I don't know, World of Warcraft or, or um, Steel Right or Darksider, excuse me. Um, so it, it kind of feels like that. You kind of joke that if you looked at this game at a glance without knowing anything else about it, it sort of might feel like one of those fake games you see on CSI or whatever. Um, which is fair, I guess. Um, but I think it works pretty well. Um, you know, it's, I, I think going for a fully realistic style, especially for like an indie studio making a game like this. I think it, it looks like we're with it anyway. And the stylizing and the stylization is, I think, you know, works well anyway. So. I think it looks inherently more visually appealing than Steel Rising. I know you said in Steel Rising looks... I like has a better like More, environment or yeah, I mean better fidelity, but it's the art style that's very different. Yeah, I, yeah. I prefer this art style uh, much more based on based on the the combat overview trailer or the gameplay overview trailer. So mm -hmm. it sounds sounds like it's like a really solid foundation as like the the, the dev team's like first like you know uh, release game, and I think that's getting those fundamentals down is pretty key. Mm -hmm. Like you know, just starting out and uh, seeing that like the it's like the like hearing that it's decent and like there's not really like you know they they didn't they clearly didn't like go overstep their bounds and like try to try to work with like a scope that they couldn't handle. It seems like a very just like a a solidly packaged game, uh and 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 you know the, of course like whatever whatever their next work will be they'll like you know take lessons away from like uh this like debut project. 
Yeah, one the last thing I'll mention is that this game was developed in Taiwan, I believe. The developer's Taiwanese. I, I'm kind of doubting myself now that I'm saying it. Um, but it's there are points in the game where I feel like the localization to English isn't great. Not necessarily in like the voice dialogue, but in some of like the uh, other text throughout like the UI and whatnot. Um, like just one kind of random example. I know this might not sound that weird, but um, you go to like open a door that's locked, and it says like this door needs to be opened from another side, and that just seems weird to me. Like why don't you just say the other side rather than another side? And there's yeah, other yeah. there's a, there's other bits like that too. Where it's just like it's not wrong, but it just kind of feels a little bit weird. Um, so. And by the but way, otherwise, yeah, Game Studio is Taiwanese. Okay, so I, I just was—that's what I thought. But as soon as I said it, I'm like, I hope I'm not wrong. Um, so okay. Um, and but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll right now decent. I'll see where it goes from here. <laughs> Sometimes decent is actually like take your victories where you can because uh, so this week I was kind of between games. Uh, I did get a Steam Deck in, which I guess now you can get those without uh, queuing for. For deliveries you can just order them and they also announced like the steam deck dock officially so i got my steam deck the first game i was gonna play on it was uh i was thinking of grabbing soul hackers 2 but they announced an update i'm coming for that that i want to wait for so i was not sure what to play but there was another indie game that came out in late september that i wanted to try uh and it is called the outbound ghost and this is a game that is very clearly and unashamedly built in the style of a paper mario rpg they even they even like in one of the trailers call it like a paper RPG adventure. It's kind of silly that that's a genre because like unlike Paper <laughs> Mario, funny. unlike Paper Mario games where they explicitly say like this, this is based on stickers or origami or like, they just don't explain why it's paper. It just is. That's just the art style. Similar to Bug Fables and Bug Fables is a game where if you've been listening to this podcast a long time is a game that I had high praise for. So I figured, hey, if Outbound Ghost is even half as good as Bug Fables or even like Paper Mario 64, uh, that'll be a decent game. Uh, unfortunately, the reason why we didn't lead off with this is I, I feel kind of, I don't want to like, so the Outbound Ghost is a, a mostly a single project or a single developer project. And I, I never want to like criticize too heavily on a passion project like that, but I just really didn't enjoy it much at all. Um, it's not a game I can recommend uh, really to anyone. If you if you want to play, if you ha if you've already played Paper Mario 64, or The Thousand Year Door, and Bug Fables, and you want to get more games in the same style, and you've been looking at the Outbound Ghost, I I don't recommend that you play it. Uh, so Why? the Outbound Ghost, uh, yeah, it's high praise. Um, so the Outbound Ghost, basically, you play as a amnesiac ghost in the city of Outbound, and everyone here has recently died due to a combination of a poisoned water supply and a serial killer. And the most of the most of the uh, inhabitants of this town have passed on into the afterlife, but a small smattering of villagers are like bound to this world because they have like an unfulfilled burden of some sort, or basically they have something kind of very typical ghost. You know, something is leeching them to the mortal plane, preventing them from ascending on. And basically, there that's the that's kind of the theme of the game. It's just like it's a it's not really a narratively like overarching story but more just like individual subplots about different characters and why they aren't um able to proceed into the afterlife so you end up in the town of outbound as a ghost and you have amnesia and you're, you're uh, for me the main character's default name was Beepo, but i think it like i think it's randomized i'm not sure so just the main character um 
has amnesia and they're like, oh, you're not from here, but, you know, we, these things happen, but we don't have a lot of, you know, strong memories of our, our mortal selves. Uh, and then you kind of go through and the narrative, I've never seen a game with so much dialogue meander to such an extent that it barely pushes the plot forward. It's it's almost hard to describe. There is so much chatter and talking and back and forth and quipping, but nothing moves the plot. It's just entirely like spinning its wheels. So the, the first chapter of the game is basically, there's ba there's basically three major chapters to this game. In the first chapter of the game, you're playing as this amnesia ghost, mostly just kind of like getting your bearings. And you meet, you meet a pair of characters named Michael and Mary. And they're like, oh, you have amnesia? Well, we also have this friend named Adrian who also has amnesia. Why don't we like get you two to meet so that we can kind of figure out what's going on? Maybe you guys, you know, uh, can under can kind of put put your minds together and figure out kind of what's happening. It's very like if it, if this is hard to follow, it's hard to follow when you're playing the game too. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and then you meet Adrian, and Adrian just starts running away from you. Like he just doesn't seem to want to chatter with you at all. And so the first like six hours of this game is just a goose chase in a linear fashion, just you chasing after this guy who's running away from you for reasons you don't know. Then all of a sudden, you uh, you start playing the game from the perspective of Mary and Michael, and the main character is now a side character and starts speaking again and doesn't have amnesia anymore. It doesn't make any sense. These two characters, Mary and Michael, there is so much inane chatter between them because they're brother and sister. It's like a B plot of a almost like a CSI show, like Adam said, where they they're trying to like one's like an investigator and one's uh just worried about the, the well-being of her brother mary is and then eventually this is the part that made me like roll my eyes and realize that this game wasn't a good game they're trying to they're trying to discuss with each other what each other's burdens are and why they won't and why they haven't been able to ascend and i shit you not this is the resolution to this like b tier arc Mary's like, I haven't been able to ascend, Michael, because I've been worried about you. And then Michael is like, Mary, I haven't been able to ascend because I'm worried about you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that they both just ascend at the same time and just like go see you later, <laughs> losers. And then they both just leave the story and nothing has progressed okay. on the main narrative about the murder mystery or the poisoned water or anything. Mm -hmm. You just spent like hours with these characters and then they just say like, oh, we don't want to be here anymore. Bye. There, there is no like resolution or narrative <laughs> arc of any kind. Uh, and uh, okay, so putting aside main narrative, you've already kind of touched on this. Any of the chatter between, because sometimes you might have chatter between characters that doesn't push a plot forward, but it's like good character writing or character building. I doesn't sound like that's the case here. Well, yeah, if, if that last example wasn't clear enough, yeah, it's <laughs> strange. Um, and then, okay, so maybe a little bit, so, okay, maybe the game has a boring, hard-to-follow story. Maybe it's fun to play, you know? Maybe maybe that's all you need. Uh, I mean, Bug so Fables, this, for instance, like, I, I kind of remember the Bug Fable story, but mostly the characters in the gameplay for that one are outstanding. Story is decent, but it wasn't like so the main in, draw in, to me. Yeah, so in this, in Outbound Ghost, and I don't want to, like, I'll try to keep this a little bit brief, because I don't want to just spend... 15, 20 minutes just ba bagging on this game. But uh, the 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 main combat is very Paper Mario-esque. And you have a a group of almost like Pokemon, only they're called figments. And these figments represent like different emotions. Uh, like one's like camaraderie and one's like uh, passion or something like that. They're all they're all based on like general ideas of like well mental well-being. And 
Uh, some of them are like better at healing. Some of them are better at being, you know, uh, doing like debuffs or poisons or things like that. Some are tanky. They all have like different archetypes that they fill. And these figments you kind of unlock throughout the game. Uh, some some are main story. Some are on uh, the off the beaten path. The only thing about them is that they have no character. They don't speak. They don't interact with the story in any way except for combat. So they're just basically a piece of artwork and a set and a set of skills. Which you might say, okay, maybe, well, maybe that's all you need. The characters that are interacting in the story and the and the things that you battle with in combat are so divorced from each other. It just feels really strange. Like there is no like cohesiveness between them. And then outside of combat and story, there is almost nothing else. There's no like shopkeeping. There's no questing. There's no like dungeons. There's even like mini games. The only mini game there is is like a lock picking mini game. Which is, uh, what's that board game or uh, where you have to like move cars out of a parking lot to, you, you can you can slide them back and forth on tiles. Oh and, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know the exact like, name of the game, but I know exactly which one. Like, it's like, it's yeah. like, it's like, um, you also have like different games that have like a mini game like that as a puzzle. Yeah, so there is a lock picking. There's a lock picking mini game that's like that. Only it's like brain dead easy. Like there'll be a lock Mm -hmm. on the left side of the map, one block in the way, and then your key on the right side of the map. So you have to like move the block down and then move to the key from the right to the left, Mm -hmm. and then you've unlocked the door. Good job. Oh, oh, I'm so smart. Um, And the uh, the overworld exploration. You're there's like giant maps that you almost always progress through in a linear fashion. And your character moves really slowly and you have like a dash button that gives you like a short burst of speed that I was just sitting there just like spamming the heck out of because you just move so slow relative to the size of the maps. The maps have like are just littered with enemies that you just run into very, very typical like Paper Mario where you run into the enemy. It brings up a combat screen. Um, And then between each map, there's a little bit of a story beat. So like the progression of the gameplay and the narrative is very basic and bare bones. It never like basically just like move from like dialogue sequence to dialogue sequence, basically in some sort of linear fashion. And that's the story or that's the game structure. (laughs) Okay. And then like, there's never really any reason to revisit maps. I guess there's, there's, any reasons like you you get the ability to like leap over fences and things like that so you can kind of go back and get other stuff um oh yeah and in terms of there's no like uh there is like standard levels like you get the experience that levels up your basic stats um you can like get items to like craft equipment to put on your figments which again are the things you fight in uh fight with and but a lot of these are just kind of basic, like have 10% more power, have 15% more health, uh, things like that. Sometimes it's there's a little bit of trade off, like ha- have zero power, but do tons of stun damage. So basically it ends up being something that doesn't do damage, but can stun enemies whenever they hit. So there's a, there's some interesting ideas there. It just doesn't come together. The The final thing is that the game just feels unfinished. So by the time you get to the end of the game, it doesn't really answer a lot of questions at all. It doesn't answer like why these th- people had amnesia, how the water was poisoned. And the thing is, is that the story and the information conveyed in it is so poorly told that maybe it revealed it. And I was just like too dumb to understand it. But I also don't feel like it was conveyed in a good fashion. In the very last arc of the game, you play as the character Adrian. This is the character that I mentioned, um, like starts running away from the from the player character at the start of the game. 
only this is going to be hard to explain but what you when you play as adrian you play as a snippet of story about 20 minutes long then you go back in time then you play another snippet of the story about 20 minutes long then you go back in time again as you like relive his memories basically traversing through the narrative of the game from the end to the beginning and then once you do that you hit the credits game over like and it just uh, i i this is one of the one of the games where like as soon as i hit the credits i was just like befuddled like what what happened and not not in like a good way or in like a, a way that actually leaves you like um with a poignant feeling or a feeling like a bittersweetness i was literally just like bewildered <laughs> just confused yeah. <laughs> um and yeah, go ahead. I don't know what I'm gonna say. And this sounds I, very I feel I, I feel strange. I feel like I'm exp- I feel like I'm explaining this game poorly, but it's also like true to my experience playing the game, is that you just hop from character to character. The narrative like irks and turns and curves in ways that don't make sense and are hard to follow. The game is just dreadfully boring. I, here, I do have one good thing to say. Like compared to bug fables and even like Paper Mario games, I think this game looks nice. I don't know if it was built in Unity or what, but the art is good. It, the performance is fine. Like the effects are good. Um, so it's a pretty game. So I guess I, it does have that going for it. That's kind of it. Uh, I kind of regret playing it. Very rarely do I play a game and regret that I spent time on it. But on this one, I just kind of did. I'm like, I could have done anything. I could have played Cold Steel 4, but I didn't. I played this instead. Uh, so I'm, I, I wish it was better. Um, but if you've if you played, like I said, Paper Mario or Bug Fables, and you're looking for another RPG, just just keep waiting. Just don't don't play this. I, I I feel bad saying that, but I just it was hard to enjoy and hard to follow, and even hard to talk about. It's just it doesn't make sense. It feels unfinished. It's more of a, it's more like a collection of ideas than a coherent product, more than anything. So, uh, What's so that's the, the outcome uh, goes. Did the, the developer create like any other games besides this? Is this their uh, debut project? I'm unfamiliar. As far as I understand, this is their uh, this is their debut project. Okay. Well, Well, I mean, at least their debut project that has a publisher. Like they might have released like an RPG Maker game, uh, you know, on the side before, but this is the first one as a studio. Okay. Well, hopefully, there's the lessons learned. Whatever they decide to do next, but yeah, it seems seems rough. Yeah. So yeah, every year I try to play a couple indie games because usually you do find some diamonds in the rough or not even indie games, but just games outside my wheelhouse. Like in January, I played uh, a Expeditions Rome game, which I actually ended up enjoying a lot. I was reminded of that when Adam was talking about Asterigos. Uh, so I, I went out on a limb here for Outbound Ghost and uh, didn't pan out this time. Oh, well, that's life. Um, wish I had more nice, yeah. th- nice things to say about it. But, you know, it is what it is. How's the music? Not memorable. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't pull a tune to my head. So that was one thing. Another you know, thing about Bug Fables is that it had great music, like surprisingly great. It, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a game is not very good when we're spending more time talking about Bug Fables than the game I was actually talking about. But that's how it works yeah. here. Yep. So, so to wrap up our like games talk section here at the start of the podcast, uh, we had a couple people on the cast go revisit some other games from previous years, uh, at least in some short snippets. So I kind of it kind of ends up being like the theme of the week that we're just kind of poking around uh, some of our interests that we've had on the back burner before getting into the the major releases coming up. Uh, the next thing that I have listed here are some things that Josh has been playing that he yeah. just wanted to offer some brief thoughts on, and I'll go yeah. ahead and just hand it off to you because I don't know which of these you want to talk about. Uh, primarily or first sure so uh, so uh last week i talked about you know some initial impressions on kuro no Kiseki 2 i did uh, finish that well i finished 
uh, watching my friends play through from beginning to end. And uh, I, I won't share like you know my overall thoughts here. It's 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 kind of those weird things that like it's probably going to be too borderline spoiler filled to like make it, to construct a coherent thought out of it. So I don't want to ruin that for people. I'll just say that I vastly prefer the first uh, Kuruno Kiseki over the sequel, um, and for a lot of a lot of reasons. So I, I was uh, digging around. I was like, okay, what do I what do I want to actually like play next? Um, and I was like, I I kind of I wanted to take a break from RPGs. To be honest, I was like, like you know, I've been playing a lot a lot of RPGs like in the past few months. So like like going back to like Xenoblade Three, Digimon Survive, Dio Field, Valkyrie, and so on. I was like, I I I kind of like want to like not play like RPG. So like uh, then yeah, for the past few weeks, I've been like messing around with uh, Gundam Evolution, which is like that Overwatch Gundam game. Uh, Are you a like, new type yet? Um, no, I'm man. I I, I'm like gradually like playing it here and there, but like either people are good, uh, or sometimes there's like the obvious hacker, or some and and because I you know I, I suck <laughs> any number of those factors, but you know it's 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 fun you know playing either solo or with friends that, that that's been a good time either way. Um, so I, I played here and there, but I'm like, you know, I, I'm not sure what I, I'm in the mood for. So I'm like, I, I I wanted to get away from RPGs for a bit, only to play more RPGs, which is maybe a bad problem to have. So uh, one of the RPGs I started playing, I'll probably just gradually play through it, not like try to like uh, play through it all in one go. I started uh, Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Dusk. That's the that's first, fucking go. That's the first person uh, dungeon crawler that uh, Nisa put out uh, several years ago um, because the, the, the spiritual successor, Labyrinth of Galleria, is coming out in a few months. And, you know, James is a very, 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 very big... Uh, fan of that so i was like i i want to play through refrain first even though it's not necessary or like mandatory to go to galleria i was like you know i'm that kind of person that likes to go through these like in a in an order if they if like something came out first so like I, i'm only like still like in the first dungeon but like almost done with it i think i'm like at like the final door to that dungeon but it's a it's an interesting um experience so far because like uh, what, what I like, I have several friends who like beat that game. It's like definitely like have someone with you, like, yeah, like, like, uh, before like you start that game because I, I want to at least like fill you in on some stuff. So, like, I had one of my friends like kind of coach me through like the very beginning of that game because, like, when you're when you know, it does the setup for the game and then you get to a character creator, and then he's like explaining like the lucky system because that like there's like a luck stat to everyone in that game. And it's like it's a, and the the formula for it is kind of convoluted, and he's like, and like when you give when you start creating a character, you're given a, a, a like a name or you can name a character and then a nickname for a character. And he's like, you want to name your characters Lucky? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. If you, he's like, basically when you give a character a name, like a, 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 like, it'll it'll have like a random luck stat if you like give them like a custom name, like you know. But if you name them Lucky, they'll have like a higher like. There's like a C, uh, like a, a base stat luck seed. If you name that lucky, so like they'll they'll get like a a stat of like luck stat of eighty five, but it's never like conveyed to you uh, through that. Uh, conversely, if you name them unlucky, they'll have a lower luck stat. And when you name them lucky and have this uh, like high luck stat, I get the at the beginning it'll be like easier for you or more pleasant because like your characters will crit more often and they won't get critted as much. Inversely, if you name them unlucky, 
they'll get crit the, the enemies will crit them more often you'll barely get any crits on enemies i'm like what he's like yeah. they're like yeah <laughs> and i'm like okay and then like and then they're explaining more of like the systems of like when you're creating a character like you know just like okay like you, when you pick like a a skill like you can basically like learn a skill that would be much farther later on and you learn them through leveling you can like like learn one of those skills right away i'm like okay that's cool and they're like explaining like the, each of the classes like uh base classes like uh strengths and weaknesses to me i'm like okay and then i was like what's this lucky number <laughs> and i'm like and they're like oh boy okay so and then they were talking about like how you can like for the lucky number when you're creating a character in this game you can pick between zero to 99 and then people have mapped out you know how this lucky number works where the last digit on like uh any of those lucky numbers so let's let's say like 11 like the like the number you you care about is one in that and that last digit will inform you of how of a character's alterations to their luck stat when like you effectively like rebirth them and, and so that so they will have a new luck stat uh when you rebirth them and that's based on their lucky number and that and there and if they like go over like a certain luck stat like say they go over the luck 99 they will relapse back into like zero to one luck and like they'll be unlucky then and how you mitigate that is through unlucky items you get throughout the game to like like kind of mitigate that um unlucky um stat alteration and I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> All I could do is nod my head when they were explaining this in much more detail. <laughs> and then, so I was just basically like, uh, I feel like I need like a, a certain IQ to like play this game. It's like it's not, it's like it's not too bad, but it does, it does matter. Like get, get, at least get, getting an idea of like where your luck stat is in the game because it does like factor into like uh, several like challenges, uh, challenges you you face in the game. So, uh, but you know, I was going, I was. Uh, getting familiar with like the the like the narrative flow of the game and like how you know obviously there's a dungeon crawler and like one, one of the big things about this game is like you like your your main quote-unquote main character uh, story-wise like you're like this grimoire like this cursed like book almost very powerful book and like you can summon like these puppets to go navigate this dungeon and at certain points when you fulfill like certain conditions in the dungeon like going this far or triggering a certain event in the dungeon you go out back up to the surface and like continue uh, like the main story and see the story events um and like i didn't know what to expect out of the story of this game but like early on like it, it's it's already very interesting with like what, what the what the what do you think is. of dranya so far uh dranya is seems very cruel but very amusing I there was this I already forgot the name, but I I met this uh, uh, nun early on with an eye patch, yeah. and I'm like and, the, and like her introductory scenes with her and like how like the setup for this character it's like this game is wild. <laughs> it's very um it's something it's something. I know some it. people who they this is speaking more broadly where it feels like there's like a sometimes a philosophical difference where if a main character isn't likable then they are a bad character. No, Dranya is not that. necessarily likable. I don't think I do, I disagree with oh, that completely. Yeah. Dranya, at least at first, is definitely not likable. But I she's think she's meant interesting. to be. Yeah, she's meant to not be likable at first. Yeah, it's one imagine. of those things where it's like as you get further along and you learn more about her backstory, it's like it doesn't justify. Yeah, but you learn that. more about like why who she is as a person and why she is this way. 
And like, that's interesting to me. Is she a yeah. likable character? No, but I don't think that's like a requisite to be, you know, a good character. Yeah. Even, that, if, even if they're the protagonist. And I think that's just interesting. I think yeah. she's very interesting. I, I really like, like, like flawed, broken, like main characters because like, it gives me something to think about as like, as like the story goes on and you learn more about them and like, and then you think about like past scenes of like, okay, did they like, like give like interesting context clues throughout your journey to like make the payoff for this character worth it. And I think that, that to me, that's a very interesting like journey to have. They don't have to be like, like, like a saint or like be the devil, like make them like a interesting character, but like, you know, uh, making me think about like why a character does something like it is generally a uh, signs of like something that I'll enjoy. Not something that I'll just like just take at face value. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, I, I've been poking away at that. It seems very fun. I know it'll like it'll very much expand uh, uh, later on. I imagine I, I only have like these uh, these th- there's these things called packs in the uh, in the game, and I know at a certain point I'll start like uncovering new packs that'll get more and more and more characters into my party. Right okay. now, I just have like standard like uh, five or six characters in my party with like one support in a backline. And I'm sure that will expand to like a crazy amount. I, I like I'm. It has a lot of like. I guess I guess I'm kind of itching for a new Etrian Odyssey. The more I play this game too, but it's 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 been fun enough. Uh, and it's it does have like interesting mechanics to it that like they they introduced early on. Like you have like the ability to like break walls early on, and then so like it gives like a new uh, element of exploring and kind of making it more uh, a little bit threatening as well. Because sometimes you break a wall, it's just like a pit, like there and yep. it's like oh you can just like fall down and like you're almost dead and, and so it, it makes exploring the dungeon uh, uh more like more interesting and more, more intense in, in a certain fashion so i i'm really looking forward to um playing more of that i i i appreciate i don't know if this was like launched with it but like there was like a 4k textures option uh in the game uh i'm playing this on pc and like oh thank god it's uh, the, there's this option because it makes the game a lot more crisp uh, with that uh, texture pack on, so that's been fun. And I also started and finished uh, Voice of Cards: The Isle Dragon Roars. That's the first Voice of Cards game. Because like, uh, there's been three of these games out. I'm like, I if I like, I should probably start this series at least a little bit because like, uh, who knows if they're just gonna continue uh, piling more and more Voice of Cards games, and I don't want to be so far behind that it seems daunting to like kind of quote unquote catch up. Even though you don't really need to like play these in order or you need to you don't need to like start from here and play or end here or whatever i know like all their standalone to, to some extent but i just i i want to like see this like once again all the way through from like from like what released first to what was most released so um this is like a much shorter game this is like this took me like a little over 15 hours in general um and this is like the the, the this is most associated like with uh like the yoko taro as a creative ta- uh, director project it's like the the tabletop uh rpg like you know everything's done with cards um and then there's uh and like as you co- as you uncover the world you like flip over more cards that like uncover the world so like everything is like built on like cards and is very much inspired by table like traditional tabletop rpgs um well the first voice of cards is uh very simple and i'd say like you know simple and serviceable pretty much sums up my thoughts of that game it's a very simple story of like hey you're like you're just a hero who wants to get rich because uh like you know they they have their own reason they're kind of like a greedy person at, st- at the start but like there's this queen that says whoever slays this dragon will like you know get riches uh from us 
and like and that's kind of the the, the main premise of like there's this dra- there's a dragon that's been supposedly ravaging the land and you can hear its roars throughout the land so like you and like the party members that you come, come across like just visit like kind of travel around the world visit towns uh go on like these quests and storylines until like you you confront the dragon uh, and so forth so that's kind of the even the though it's a even though it's a pretty simple story and saying twist is maybe too generous but i kind of like how the story kind of turns you know in the last chapter of it and like oh here's what's actually going on yeah, like, yeah it's simple but it's like oh that's actually kind of you know a pretty nice kind of conflict that we have here and yeah how it actually wraps up yeah I, so. I think that yeah i think the actual like overall like like what the what the nature of this journey entails is interesting i don't think like a lot of like the the, the story beats are like that like like I said, it's simple and serviceable, but like not like not too like super interesting on like face value. Like a lot of like the the party members that like joined you along, like the 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 one from the forest and the and the and the son. Of, actually, I, I I like the one that's like the son of like the alchemist. Uh, I like him, but like that, but they, but they don't have like they don't have like much depth to them as a character. But I'm like that's okay. Like they're they're fine. You know, they're, there's a there's there's a there's a bare bones reason, but it's like it's good enough to like kind of string them along. There's not there's not a, like a lot of there's not like a big like heartfelt scene that like uh, reaffirms everyone's bonds with each other. It's a very simple story, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, it also meanders uh, a bit. <laughs> it does, yes, it does meander. The uh, the like you're you, you're left wondering like who the hell is Mar? Like what is like the nature of Mar? And then once you find more about Mar, they're just like your monster companion. Uh, yep. At the very start, it's like oh. Oh, so that, you know, like as you would expect, like from a from a game that like has Yoko Taro involved in it, like there there is definitely twists along the way. I think it it's weird. It's weird that like there's this whole component to it that like if you beat enough like monsters, you'll get like the monster story for that uh uh you know enemy. Or if you like, you do fulfill certain conditions, like you rest like at every end, you get like this other backstory. Like simple, simple, like maybe three to four sentences of like more of this character. It's kind of like quote unquote like the flip side to them, like showing yeah. like maybe a more dark, a darker side or like a more providing more context for that. That almost feels like card game ish too, where like the back of a card might have like a trading card might mm-hmm. have like a very short like two or three sentences like here's what this character is and what they did and maybe a little yeah. bit of their history all in three sentences. So yeah. it kind of has that. So. I think I think that the that the final boss had like interesting like at least it's like a like I think for the most part the game is very like even simple and I like, gameplay like I had a very like solid strategy that I only needed to like switch up at the final boss because the final boss actually had like me- like mechanics that I wish was more prevalent throughout the other uh, th- throughout the game's other like you know bosses that it had mm-hmm. like I like I wish more of the bosses were like involved as involved as the final boss in this game because that was the only time I was like okay. I need to think about like the composition of my party and what skills am I bringing to this uh, encounter. Yeah, it's pretty easy. Of <laughs> yeah. Other than that, like my strategy was like the main character, um, the the elf girl with the bow and arrow. Yeah, and, I use the, the I, I use the bow girl and the. Uh, I actually forget who my fourth character was. The muscle guy. I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's only the uh, three characters, and like I, I had Melanie, which is the the mage girl that also chose you at the mm-hmm. beginning. So like, and I just had like. A really solid like uh, strat of just like really focusing on like the like the the multi hitting attacks that the both the elf girl and the main character had, while Melanie is more like a bat battery to like supply mana to them. So 
that that like it's it's neat you know it's it's i i installed and shortly booted up the the second game the forsaken maiden um last night i uh, like i don't know if like, i'm gonna commit fully to it yet or maybe i'll just like uh continue to play more other games but yeah i i i'm kind of interested in uh, going into it um now with like this like knowledge foundation from the first voice voice of cards that i didn't know that you like you you hold forsaken maiden in high regard and like relative to other voice of cards games well i'm interested to like kind of dig deep into that and seeing like what sorts of like a gameplay differences it may have and what sorts of like just in general like now like i can like more easily spot the differences or enhancements to the game like uh mm-hmm. like just you know coming fresh off of the first game but yeah i mean it's a it's a really uh, like i like smaller rpgs you know so like it's it's totally fine that like it didn't last long for me or like it was more the simple but uh aside like i kind of just like enjoy just like okay that was a that was a neat like 10 to 15 hour experience and like like it sure it wasn't like a masterpiece but that's totally fine you know i just like like play to these kinds of games so that's uh we'll see um other than that that's all i've been really playing for right now as i'm waiting waiting for more like bigger releases this month i I just do do want to give a psa as well that uh the legend of mana anime adapt uh, tv anime adaptation did start um at the time of this recording like yesterday and like and that's a really cool first episode for legend of mana fans like you'll there's like little details here there it's like oh that's funny that they included this in the show like it it, it like it, it starts i'm not gonna with, watch this until yeah. it's all done yeah i heard in the first episode the pumpkin guy beats up uh lapis lazuli or whatever his name is yeah yeah duel like is kind of a giga chat in it he like beats up ellen's <laughs> like they the, the first encounter like it's it's funny like it it starts um right after um the the shiloh brings uh what was it bud and and corona back to his place and her name like, is they, lisa sorry lisa it, her name was changed for some reason yeah right <laughs> Because uh, the, the subs call uh, call them by their Japanese names, so it's Corona and the English subs. Well, for I that. could probably see why they changed the name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, that's a, that. So it's basically at the start of the game, a, li- a little after, like you br- br- bring those kids uh b- back to your place. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's it's really funny because like at the very like how they reference like the how Shiloh meets them and like their initial encounter is. As Shiloh is about to go downstairs, Lil Cactus gets up on its feet and like rises in the uh, gets a chair and uh, writes in the little leaflet notepad. And like as it's writing on that leaflet, note, the, the flashbacks to Shiloh, like you know, fighting against uh, them and like beating them up for like. Well, that's what that's what happens in the game. Is they're yeah. they're causing they're just kind of being like troublemakers yeah. in the pumpkin patch yeah. and they beat them up and they're like, yeah. sorry, we'll go with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it's a it's a really nice touch and i think i think so far like it really captures like the whimsical tone of legend of mana like I've, i'm watching with a friend that's never played legend of mana but he was just like kind of laughing that like kind of like, stuff just kind of happens in, in that show like in the episode it's like it's this very much how it is like in the game like the stuff just kind of you walk around and stuff just kind of happens in front of you yep. and you and you won't know the context for a while of why like you know some certain things like are happening in front of you I do I like how we've all. had a few different uh, contexts to speak about anime projects over the last three weeks. <laughs> Gundam Edge Runners and now uh, Legend of Mana. Mm-hmm. And also once, once the, the Cold Steel one. <laughs> oh yeah, we got the Cold Steel one. Uh, once the mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Die game comes out, we'll have we'll be able to tie into that manga and anime property, of course. Uh, I guess two one more episodes. Game, 
Yeah, start having for, a One for, Piece marathon. Oh, yeah, for for Dragon Quest Nine, there's two more episodes uh, before it, it completely finishes. This. Like, I, I got caught up. I'm excited. Wow. Things I are happening. To, I, I hear you have to watch all a thousand One Piece episodes before you can play One Piece Odyssey. Not so, maybe not all a thousand, but based on the news we'll talk about today, you might want to watch a certain number of them, or at least read a synopsis. Yeah, you can yeah, also read the manga. Read, reading is allowed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> manga would be a lot quicker. <laughs> a lot quicker. Well, well, I just, I just saying that for that little One Piece news bit, I had to be like, Adam, I want you to do it because I don't know what I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> it's kind of backwards from what we normally yeah. get. Josh doesn't know what a bond clay is. I don't know. And, 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 Adam, and Adam like disciplined me like a, a few weeks back. He's like, why did you say Nico? It's Robin. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no one calls her Nico. But isn't her name Nico Robin? Yes. But no one calls her Nico. Yeah, oh, okay. I, I wrote Nico in the news bit for, for that One Piece one <laughs> a weeks back. And then uh, Adam was like, slap me on the wrist. Monkey like, Luffy, but no one calls him Monkey. That's true. So he uh, does make a good point I, there. I can't believe you're not up to date on One Piece. <laughs> I don't even watch One Piece, and I know that nobody ever calls her Nico. They only call her Robin. This is how out of touch I am with One Piece. <laughs> wow. I can't believe you're just an anime neophyte. Just. Absolutely yeah, no, I, I hate no anime, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, they had a One Piece collaboration with Grand Blue at one point, and I skipped all their story scenes. <laughs> Alright, so more, <laughs> so more, on, more on One Piece later, but uh, no, thanks for just uh, the check-in on uh, a few different things that you've been looking at with uh, Voice of Cards, with The Legend of Mana anime, and with Labyrinth of Refrain. Uh, we'll obviously more news on Labyrinth of Galleria coming out next year. So we've kind of we've kind of preempted a lot of our news. So it'll be interesting once we get to that section here. The final thing that we're going to do in this games talk section at the start here is Chow reminded me about something that was announced last month that I completely forgot about. And that was that Radiant Silver Gun released on Switch in September. Now, Chow, I need a little bit of a history lesson here. Like Radiant Silver Gun. When I see that name, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a classic game from back in the day. But I don't know, like, what it is or why it's interesting. So you've um, been playing Radiant Silver Gun on Switch. Just kind of give me, like, the, the lowdown on what, what even is this. Okay, so Radiant Silver Gun is a shoot-em-up game by Treasure. And Treasure also made Ikaruga. It's actually kind of like RPG, to be honest with you, because there's a leveling up system with your shots. And there's actually a very deep story in this game, too. So, basically, that's kind of like a rundown. And it even has music from, uh, what is it, Hitoshi uh, Sakamoto. And you know that he did music for Final Fantasy Tactics. So, this game sounds like sounds like FF Tactics when you play through the game with the music, right? There we go. The core tenets of RPG all represented. Level ups, deep story, Hitoshi Sakamoto. Yep. It got everything in there. Uh, so, anyways, they released a Switch port of this game. Uh, just kind of like recently, uh, the Switch port is sort of like a port of the 360 live arcade version. If anyone remember that, uh, that was released quite a while ago. And oh, yeah, I, I do vaguely remember they, they they had like a like a big shmup released uh, spree like on the Xbox Live days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's it's actually like a good port in my opinion, but apparently like very experts in the scene said. Just go with the Sega Saturn version because apparently there's a little input lag compared to the Sega Saturn version. From so that's a shame. Like yeah, that 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 actually seems like I can see why that might be a bummer because having it like input lag like on a shmup is kind of a killer. But 
Um, from what I heard, it's from free frames, which is what the Sega Saturn version is, mm-hmm. and the Xbox Live version is four frames, and uh, this one is five frames. Ooh, okay. <laughs> five frames is enough to kill your mood of 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 these kind of games. Then then don't get the Switch port, you know. I guess. Yeah, ho- hopefully, they like fi- either like fix that in a, in a like later patch. Hopefully, down the line, and or like have it released on other platforms that like have less input lag you know ideally they do all the above but but yeah i don't know but anyways uh this game is extremely good uh it has a scoring system too just like ikaruga but it's a little different than ikaruga instead of uh was it instead of like shooting like free back to back how it goes is that you have to shoot uh enemies that come in a certain color right they come in either red yellow or blue so you get a bonus points if you shoot free of the same color. And then you got to keep sticking with killing those patterns if you want the maximum score. You want to play that way. Uh, basically, and there's also another secret way of shooting to get the chain bonus is by hitting all different colors from red, one yellow, then blue, or something like that. You know, you don't, I mean, you're, you're, you're not mandated to do this. It's more of like a, it's more of like a point. Uh, if you're point focused, that's it. Yeah, if you're point focused, there's a scoring yeah. system how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, what's really cool about this game is that because the story is told non chronological uh, order, so you actually start in stage three, then you kind of go back to stage one. Then at the end of the game, you end up at stage zero. So that's how, the, because of the story goes. Yeah, I remember it being really funky, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a long time for me. But uh, sounds like Outbound story- Ghost. Yeah, it has a pretty deep story. Basically, what happened is that humanity finds this uh, kind of like a crystal-like object, and it basically kills every <laughs> humanity in in the world. And the reason why you're still alive because you were at a space station in space, and you come back to Earth to, to get resources because you ran out of resources in space. And that's why the game is told in kind of like this non-chronological order. And by the end of the game, the crystal object sends you back all the way to the BC times. And that's why it stayed zero. So that's kind of like how, how it works. And I don't know, this is a really cool time loop part of the plot, but I don't think people play shoot them up games for the plot usually. No, not really. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I would say check it out. It is an extremely difficult game. I like did they did they include like anything unit or or does it impl- like uh like support like Tate mode in on Switch? The thing is, this game was never a Tate mode game. Oh yeah, okay. That, that, uh, <laughs> I thought it was for a second. Yeah, that's right. It was more widescreen. Yeah, t- uh, yeah. yeah. Super Guns won a few. What games is Tate that, mode? Uh, it's basically if you play shoot them up games, um, the screen ratio is three by four. If you get what I'm saying, basically, it's like it's like having a, like, it's like it's like you're standing or like for switch, yeah. like you would put the switch like sideways. Oh to make it well, stand I was like, up. I was, yeah, I was gonna ask game. this. Tate itself even means to stand up. Yeah, so it's a way of uh, saying well, like, it's uh, vertical. I was actually yeah. going to ask, like, I remember when the Switch came out, like, I forget who made it, but the, the flip grip, where it could actually, like, be held vertical with the, between the Joy-Cons. Like, I was wondering, like, would that work for this game? But I guess it, this game isn't set up that way. Nope, it's definitely not. Um, the thing is... And I'm not surprised to hear that it's difficult, because I remember back in, like, 2016 or 15, or whenever Ikaruga came out on Steam, I was like, oh, like, I don't play a lot of shoot 'em ups but this game I've always heard was fun and challenging. Let me try it. I think I beat the first chapter and just got, like, stonewalled by the second chapter, just could not clear it, and I was like, I, I am bad. I am bad wow. at games. <laughs> Shmuff's not text right there. Uh, it's uh, a <laughs> hard. 
uh, it's a learning process of beating them. You try yeah. to memorize all the patterns and things. I don't know. I, I feel like I hate to make this kind of comparison, but in my opinion, I treat Final Fantasy fourteen as a bullet hell. Even though there's not like a million bullets coming, you just have to like keep dying over and over and remember the pattern. And I don't know. EX4 has some sections that are basically low-key a bullet hell, like an actual one. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So um, Brian, if, if you ever want to get into uh, um, shmups or bullet hells, um, I know that both, uh, well, actually, Josh, you did play Drainus, uh, yeah, too, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to yeah. recommend, like, if you ever, like, Drainus is, like, a really good beginner yeah, friendly. Yeah, it, it's, it's also, like, perfect for Steam Deck. It, it, that's how I played the whole thing, and it runs perfectly. So Yeah, that's an awesome game. Yeah. Uh, that no, was I'm from sure a I would call Lady that Bug, a right? shmup. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'd call that a shmup, more like a shmideways, but you get what I mean. <laughs> We are not standardizing that that term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it I, only makes sense. <laughs> You're going from side to side. If a shmup <laughs> is like top down, it's like it's gotta work that way, right? <laughs> oh, Logic. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining fitting that into the the podcast post somewhere. Schmideways. <laughs> you heard me, Adam. But uh, there's also one last thing I forgot to mention: Radiant Silver Gun. It's the only game that plays like this. There's actually like was it seven shot patterns that you can your ship can use and each button basically corresponds with one each shot so you got kind of like a straight shot a shot that shoots backwards a laser was it kind of like a two explosive spread shot and there is kind of like a homing laser and there is also a laser sword that you could use which is like short range and like there was people that bragged in the internet where they beat the whole game using just the sword only without using the shots. So stuff like that. It's I forgot cool. what, 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 like in, in that game, was it all button sensitive or was that, or was that preset that you did? It's preset basically because okay. Radiant Silver Gun used to be for the arcades, right? So yeah. if you in the arcades, you only got three buttons, right? Yeah. So you can only do the three basic shots. Then if you want to do the other shots, you press two, a combination of two buttons. And then there will be. Then you would get the other free shots. Then if you press all free buttons, you get the sword. Okay, yeah, that's how they did it in arcades. Yeah, right. So it's pretty cool. Uh, your sword can also absorb like pink bullets, and it fills up like this energy bar. And when you get a full energy bar, you could uh, use this giant sword, which works like a bomb, and and shoot them up games. So did did they add anything like any sort of like uh, art gallery or like concept art and like in the development of this game like this re-release i don't see it there okay. so uh, like i said i like i think this is just a port of the 360 version the live arcade version that's just on switch so if you already okay. have that and i don't know maybe you still use your 360 or your xbox maybe <laughs> maybe then there's not much of a reason to get it so yeah i, I remember that it was uh, either free just to download or it was like an xbox live gold game like a while back because i i have it in my library i don't know when i got it but it's in my xbox library and i've played it a bit on my series x so yeah, if you're into shoot 'em up games and have RPG elements and have a pretty decent story, give this game a shot. And that pretty much covers this for the games we've been playing section. So kind of all over the place this week, but I, you know, variety is the spice of life. 
So thank you to everyone who contributed to that. And we'll hear more about some of the things that Adam and James have been playing in the upcoming weeks as we go into later in October. And then some of the topics now that we are going to shout out for features up on RPG site are things that we've already introduced on last week's episode of the podcast, but we'll go ahead and give their formal write-ups a little bit of a shout out here. So uh, in the last week, James has put up two features, one of which is on Monster Hunter Rise's Sunbreak, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak's second title update. So James had that chance to talk about that title update last week on the podcast, but he also went and wrote up his thoughts for that update and published them on the site. So if you weren't listening to last week's podcast or you're playing through the update yourself and want to see what his thoughts were on that, go ahead and give that a read. Uh, James also wrote up a little bit of a feature on he had the chance to attend a Distance Worlds concert uh, last week or the week before and wrote up kind of his impressions on that. And this was your first time. uh, Was this your first time attending Distant Worlds? Oh, yeah, this is my first time. I want to say the last uh, time they did one was 2017 or something like that. It would make sense because I imagine that they probably wanted to do something for the 30th anniversary. And that would have been the last time they had a reason to because this is for the 35th anniversary of the series. So that makes sense. And yeah, and obviously, I'm, I don't know all the details, but I'm guessing over the last couple of years, just the number of concert events that had venues even open would have been very limited. But yeah, I've had the both. I know Adam and I have both had a chance to attend Distant Worlds. And if you're at all a fan of Final Fantasy, usually it's a very, very good time. So always put that on your bucket list. uh, If you get the chance to see one, usually it's a a pretty good showing. Uh, James also, as we're talking about the features that he wrote up, wrote up a preview for an upcoming game that we don't talk about a lot here. And that is for Gotham Knights. So Gotham Knights is a game that I think a lot of us kind of have an eye on, but are struggling to find a lot of you know genuine excitement for uh were you uh able to go hands-on on this or was this a uh behind closed doors preview event uh i was able to go hands-on um actually had a chance to go to the warner brothers offices and play about two and a half hours of the game oh that's really cool so obviously you have the uh the write-up up on the site on rpgsite.net for those that want to get your your full rundown but do you have just like any key takeaways that you want to kind of address here yeah not a big fan of the combat, I'll be honest. I kind of like say it in my preview where it's like, oh, well, it'll probably be better once you've got all these upgrades and you're at the end of the game and you have like more options at your disposal. But especially early on, it's just like watered down like Arkham combat. Because like in Arkham, you had like a counter. So like if you like got the little like um like icon above an enemy's head, you could just press the counter button and like react to it. You don't have a counter here. Instead, you have to dodge. <laughs> And it's like you do get like a bonus if you evade it at the perfect amount of time. It like fills up your meter. I forget if it's like I think it's adrenaline. I I don't know for sure, but it that's what lets you use like special attacks. And and we got a little bit of a chance to try the co-op. And uh, one thing that I found out later that kind of surprised me is that I assumed that it was going to be full four-person co-op. No, it's just like two people, even though there's four playable characters. Um. I think the thing that I, um, the one takeaway that really uh, stuck with me the most is um, I feel like what might be the most promising part aspect of this game might be the detective sections because there's like a whole kind of murder mystery to the game where it's like, well, Batman's dead. We need to find out what he was doing, like what he was investigating and exactly what caught, what killed him. And uh, like, 
throughout um, throughout the entire preview section, like in the Belfry, which is like the hub, there is like an entire just like case board that's set up. And you can at any given time, like look, like look at it and, and you'll have all the different like key like suspects, witnesses and all like on the board. And you'll have these strings connecting them as you figure things out. And like you'll even have like these this dialogue that the other members of the Bat family will say um, while you're in the main area. And then like in missions, like in the tutorial mission, there's a little section where you have to investigate something to kind of solve a puzzle. And it's like the person that was that died in this section was trying to hide something and you need to figure out, okay, what were they up to? So you investigate, you find out there's like three possible places you could maybe insert a code. And then there's like four different possible codes. So you have to like context clues be like, okay, which code do I use? And where do I put it? And it, it wasn't much, but I feel like that might be the thing. If I'm going to play this game, I don't know if I'm going to play it. That might be the thing that grips me the most because I feel like we have a lot of Batman games and like, obviously like the Arkham, well, I say trilogy, but there was, I guess there was four if you count. Um, what was it? It was it origin. Wasn't, origins. Origins. The, 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 origins the, the, yeah. I think. I think. I think this game has the origins developer team on it. If I remember yeah. correctly. But it's like in the Arkham games. Yeah, you had some investigation segments, but it really wasn't a focus. But I feel like well, it almost it almost became a meme. Like uh, out of all the games that have like press a uh, press button to highlight <sighs> things. Like I feel like the Witcher has it. Even like Tomb Raider has it. I think. But like Detective Vision came from yeah, and like one, one of the Arkham sound. games and it was and usually said like sneeringly like not not oh yeah I love that detective vision from Arkham City or whatever usually usually it felt like it was kind of dumbing down the gameplay but the way you described this detective gameplay aspect from Gotham Knights sounds a little bit more involved so you know, maybe, maybe they you know kind of Arkham Combat's kind of a well-worn thing where there's not a whole lot you can maybe do with it but maybe they saw the the detective aspect. You know, you're playing as a superhero detective, or at least related to superhero detectives. Yeah. And I do want to stress that I feel like inherently it's really difficult to like preview an open world game, especially since like half the session was just dealing with the tutorial and the story mission. Well, more than half of it even was uh, kind of delegated to that. So I didn't really get to man like get to have a good feel of how the open world feels and like, is there anything there that's like unique because. Correct this me requires more time. Yeah. And also like, correct me if I'm wrong. They canceled the last gen versions of this, right? Or is it just delayed and they haven't technically. They, they can't, they canceled the last gen versions. This is, this was the, okay. the last gen versions for. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure like the open world stuff. I am not, really sold on yet but again i've only seen such a small part of it i do know there's stuff to do there i do know that one thing they seem to do is that it looks like the way that main story missions start is it kind of introduces you to different like um enemies and then in the open world you can investigate things and find like additional missions to like finish up that specific villain story arc and it has like stuff attached to it because I do know that one of like two of the missions I did, the first one was a story mission tied to uh, Harley Quinn. I'm sure you guys have seen that now infamous uh, 
clip. Live in La Vida Loca <laughs> scene. The I, I, I will say it is cringe, but in context, it's not as bad as it I, yeah, I imagine. It, it, it is funny to, to like see out of context. Yeah. yeah. And like later on, like I did like a few like open world activities that kind of followed up on her like jailbreak. And then eventually you um, deal with her and like kind of put her back behind bars. So it's like, I feel like that's probably going to be something similar for the rest of the cast, especially now that the trophy list has been uploaded. You can look at it. It's like, yeah, it seems like that's what they're going with, which I think that's not necessarily a bad way of doing things because it lets them have their story beats. And then like, if you want to follow through on the other enemies, that's like a reason to do the open world activities and whatnot. But um, yeah, it, it seems interesting and I don't want to diminish the fact that it, 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 it very much is an RPG, like in the sense that you do have levels, you'd have stats, you have like equipment and the skill point stuff and the way that you can improve your character. Like, especially with the knighthood tree, it seems like even if at the beginning, most of the characters feel very, very similar. I can tell just looking at what you upgrade to. And even like with the little bit of upgrades I did for the last section of the preview I had, things are going to feel very different at the end game. It's just a question of, is there a reason to really go in depth with the customization? Cause they said there's supposed to be end game stuff, but I haven't seen exactly what that might be. And it's like, I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know what to think of this game yet. I feel like I, I, I want to, maybe check I, it out with friends so that's a, i feel like i feel I, like i have to i have to a friend of a friend will just have to say hey you want to check this out and i'll probably be like okay sure <laughs> i feel that's like it. it will be a strong seven out of ten <laughs> I, I i feel like that's that's what it's kind of going for mm. with you i i will say it might be worth it just because it's gonna have like fancy ray tracing features and whatnot and you have a 3080 so it's like it'll look nice that's something that it's a seven really it's a seven out of ten but it's got ray tracing mm, yeah, let, let me let me fit a 4090 somehow in here god those size comparisons like that one asus one that's taller than a ps5 it's like jesus christ <laughs> even if i wanted that card it wouldn't fit in my 11d it wouldn't yeah. fit in my case I I just i'm just imagining all the horror stories that people had like even if they somehow like get into their pc case like how long till it just like fucking snaps off? <laughs> well, that's well, that's that's the thing. Like, they might be making huge cards, but they're not dumb. It comes with a support bracket. Okay, all right. Well, good luck. I I, ima- I imagine some people are just gonna ins- install it and see how it or works. install the bracket improperly. Mm-mm. I'm also just imagining right. like the the fans and the heats on those. But anyways, for Gotham Knights, I'm kind of with Josh. Where it's like, since it is two player, like any game no matter how mid it is like More just have someone out. along for, have someone along for the ride someone to suffer alongside you and i'm you know maybe the game will also be surprisingly good but even if the game is surprisingly good even that is exemplified if you're playing with a buddy at least in my experience so yeah. gotham knights i'm either i'm either going to play it co-op or not at all probably yeah that's how i feel like all right yeah. Ryan, time for a death pact let's go all right <laughs> i'm not a no oh, i'm not agreeing oh, to that the two of you, oh, yeah, <laughs> i'm not, the two of you I'm not committing to anything well 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 as long as the two of you are gonna play it it's only two-player co-op i'm free <laughs> i'm safe <laughs> it, it, it is kind of weird they met with a two-player co-op you don't really see that that uh often like in a especially in a game that like this showcases more playable characters to player co-op. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. all right. Weird. I, 
I can't help but feel like that might have been a stipulation they fell into if, when developing the last gen versions. And it's like, too late now. Yeah. And the last feature we have up on the site is a, it's an actually a late review for the site. And that is for a game that released in June, Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. Now, this game kind of released at a very busy time period. It was like a week before Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak and only a few weeks before the July deluge of like Live Alive, Digimon Survive and Xenoblade. So Three Hopes kind of fell, you know, under underneath everything else. We did get a little bit of a preview from uh, I believe Colin did the preview for that and talked about the Switch uh, performance on that game. But we got a review up on the site now from Nathan, who is also a very big Fire Emblem Three Houses fan talking about his time with Three Hopes. So we do have that up on the site as well. Uh, I am inherently not interested in the just the, the style of game in general, but it is kind of fun to read through someone who is a big Fire Emblem fan, what they thought about this, uh, this spinoff, this kind of side storytelling, alternate, alternate retelling of the Three Houses story. So go ahead and give that a review. If you forgot about Three Hopes or if you've played it but had it on the back burner or if it's something you want to get to before the end of the year, uh, Nathan did put up a good uh, thorough review for that up on the site. All right, we'll head into our news section here and uh, kind of a, a big week for news and uh, from a lot of surprising places. Uh, we're going to open up with one that was not a a lot of times when we cover news, it's like a trailer or a press release or an announcement from a Nintendo director or whatever. Uh, this is not that this is something that kind of evolved over the week that Genesis from a medium post from a developer on Disco Elysium with Zaum, Z-A-U-M. And we kind of talked about this at the very tail end of the podcast last week, like as we were signing off, because it was kind of like breaking news uh, right as we were recording last weekend. So uh, Adam has very thoroughly kind of kept a news article updated on the site for the developments over at Zaum, Z-A-U-M, and confirming from the developer, from the horse's mouth themselves, that the talent behind Disco Elysium is no longer with the studio. That includes uh, Robert Kurvitz, Helen Hinspear, and Alexander Rostov. And we did also get a statement from the developer stating that, like any video game, the disc development of Disco Elysium was a collective effort. Uh, they have no further comment other than that their focus remains on the development of their next project. So kind of a very, boil a very boilerplate statement saying that the developer does still exist. They haven't shuttered their doors. They are still working on a new project. But also, yeah, the got confirmation that those three talents are no longer with the studio. So I feel like, and, and everyone I feel like that's been keeping track of this has already seen this, but saying, oh, it, like, many of the developers are still there while all the Estonian writers are gone. Like a big part of Disco Elysium's soul comes down to like the lived experience of being in like a post-communist society, like and whatnot. It's like. It's definitely, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a good, not to, not to mention that one of the people that left, it's like, you can say, Oh, well, he's just one person, but it's like, he wrote over half the words in Disco Elysium and the setting itself is some something that he's been workshopping for like 20 years. Yeah, because yeah, like Ad Adam mentioned last week at the tail end of the podcast that this was like forked out because ZAUM started as a collective like art 
an art collective of, of sorts, including like a novelization of which Disco Elysium was based on. And that writer is no longer with the studio. So now it's possible that ZAUM is making a project that is not tied to this universe at all. It's it should be kind of like the only way that I could see having any interest in what they're producing next is if it's yeah, just completely I, divorced from this. I feel like though, especially seeing some of the like individual employees and how they've reacted to folks' reactions to the news, it's like I know it's just one person, but the fact that they were trying to hide this for so long—not them, that one individual, but like the studio was trying to hide this for so long—and like the circumstances, like. I'm sure like Jason Schreier is eventually going to come out with something about this because it's just ripe for, okay, what the hell actually happened? Like someone like him is going to have a big expose in like a few months will probably have a much better idea of what the hell happened. But even from what we know now and from what we can very clearly see, it's yes, like, like any development, Disco Elysium and Zaum weren't just those three people that left, but we were also finding out it wasn't just those three people. Like much of the other talent that worked on Disco Elysium has left after them. And the current state of the company now is like nowhere near what the uh, studio that made Disco Elysium. And it's just, I'll be blunt, trying to like that statement that they put out and people have said this as much. It's like, you really did try this with like the worst possible game to try and uh, weasel this through. Didn't you? Because any person really got into disco Elysium is probably going to be predisposed to just like see through that bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. That statement was basically toothless and it's just like, please just, look the other way don't you know don't pay attention to this like it's just like they were a lot of these involuntary studio departures happened in like late 2021 so like you said they were not really not being open about this and now that people uh you know have learned about some of the at least we only can see what has been shared with us like you said it'll take some deep investigative sleuthing from someone like schreier to actually get to the nitty-gritty so we, we only know what we've been exposed to but since this happened nearly a year ago at this point, and we're just now learning about it, it's clearly not something that they were wanting to be open about. And now that people have learned about it, they're saying, you know, please look the other way. We're still going to make a great game for you, right? That's what you're all interested in, right? We're working on our next project. But the fact that the uh, the cultural association that created the studio is now gone, and all that's left is the studio and none of the original talent behind it, it makes it just very hard to be interested in whatever they're producing next, at least inherently. Yeah, and I, uh, and you got to assume, even if it's not the same world, which, again, cannot, like, overstate how much of, a, like, a loss that is, considering how much time and, like, blood, sweat, and tears this dude put into it. But it's like, I'm sure the original creators are going to be, like, they won't have any issues whatsoever, basically, if they want to, anyways. If they want to keep making games, they won't have any issues whatsoever finding someone to give them the... the uh, time and resources to make something great again. I mean, especially like look at how much like Disco Elysium sold. I don't know if we have like any specific sales numbers, but on Steam, it's like over 50,000 reviews, which going by conventional wisdom, that's like two to three million copies sold just on PC, not even counting the console versions, which yeah, the final cut received as well. So it's like, it's like 
Yeah, I if if they want to keep making games, I'm sure they'll be able to keep making games. It's just like such an unfortunate like situation that things have like turned out this way. So yeah. obviously we'll keep an eye on and seeing on what the what ends up coming out of ZAUM going forward or from the uh the departures and if they end up working on another project together. That's okay. ZAUM is like uh that people are complaining now, but once we flash the five star summer event Kim Kitsuragi card, it's over. <laughs> The next major uh, set of news we got was, I don't know if we were expecting this, but we got a whole lot of news out of CD Projekt. So, Adam, was this like planned at all? Like, I don't know if this was like a, a standard like reporting or if this is something they just kind of dropped on us like all at once out of nowhere. I think it was just an unusual investor like meeting, but they kind of attached to it. Like, here's our roadmap for the next 10 years or whatever. So, yeah. so all right. So there's yeah, a lot they, to dive into here. But yeah, uh, so... Yeah, so uh, we're going to have to like boil this out. So we already learned about the upcoming Cyberpunk expansion coming out next year, which is Phantom Liberty. We already got uh, information on that, I think, like three weeks ago. However, we did learn, and perhaps unsurprisingly, that a full sequel is underway for Cyberpunk 2077. The sequel is codenamed right now Project Origin. Uh, sorry, not Origin, Project Orion. Now, there's a lot of project names here, so... Uh, I have to have all the news posts up in order to keep these straight. So Project Orion is the Cyberpunk 2077 sequel. However, interestingly, Project Orion will be developed by CD Projekt North America, a studio that the Polish company is currently in the process of founding. CD Projekt North America will consist of studios based in Boston and Vancouver. So when I read this, this was just really interesting because like they're Don't giving they already us... already have a Boston-based studio? Because isn't that like the studio that's working on the other like spinoff that they announced. I don't know if that's the same studio because they're calling this one CD project North America, where the other one is the, uh, has a different name called what? Let's see. Molasses flood, but it's like, it's yeah, they're based in Boston. Also, so it's yeah. All right. So my, my, my need to do some sleuthing on that to see if that's the same studio working on two different projects, both uh project Polaris or sorry, project Sirius. So many project names. Anyways, going well, trying to keep these uh, trying to keep these in order. It, it let's could be let's a focus case. on project. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it could be a case where you have like it like they might have multiple development studios in North America. It's just an umbrella term. And then since it's going to include both Boston and whatnot, well, that the molasses flood is already Boston based. They they would be under that umbrella as like CD Project North America. That would be my assumption. Yeah, so CD Project North America will also include the Vancouver studio. So it just kind of depends on how you label each bucket. So when I read, focusing now on Project Orion, the Cyberpunk 2077 sequel, the fact that this is a studio that they're still in the process of founding, but they're already announcing that they're working on a cyberpunk project, just seems like almost like repeating mistakes. Because remember how Cyberpunk was announced like in 2012 with that teaser and then we didn't hear about it at all for like six or seven years until they had more to show. Like, I don't know if this is just something specifically to please investors because Cyberpunk did sell well. Like that, that is a fact. So a sequel is financially a smart and safe move. So I don't know if this is more of an announcement for fans or more of an announcement for investors saying like, yep, we're working on a sequel, you know. Don't worry about the finances. It's, uh, I, I, I think it's for investors primarily, for sure. I, I, I they, yeah, it's. I, I, I have to imagine. Yeah, I don't think they'd announced a like a specific project 
uh, beforehand, but they definitely said that they were anticipating cyberpunk would be a series moving forward. So it's like not even really much new information, except for the fact that it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have X uh, developer working on it. And that's basically what we're hearing now. I mean, uh, you know, uh, good, good luck. You know, you have a lot of lessons to learn from the from the first release, right? (laughs) So it's just, we'll see how how it goes. I I don't don't expect this to to come into fruition for literally might be another decade. Yeah, it's, this is something that we might not talk about again for a long time. And it's, it's almost like in, in a way it's very different from how we, from how, how a lot of other studios handle announcements where we'll hear about games. Like we talked about how this year we learned about so many projects that ended up releasing this year, um, like Dio field and Valkyria, uh, Valkyria Elysium and things like that. And Nintendo has done that also as well, where they announce something one year and release it by the end of the year or the next year. So CD project, it's in a way, it's kind of like refreshing to hear, you know, yeah, we're just now incubating ideas for this, but you won't see, fruits of our labor for for literally a decade it's, it's very much how like the movie industry does uh their, their announcements of like upcoming projects you know it's very much like far into the future like you know here's what to expect like uh, like say like you know for people like uh, marvel studios for example they'll, they'll just lay out like here are the movies coming the next five years for this quote-unquote phase not not quite MCU. the same thing but for some reason the thing that pops in my head is like the lion king mufasa just yeah. the, the thing that no one asked for. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. my favorite thing about that Mufasa teaser thing was? They they announced that like who's gonna be voicing Timon and Pumbaa in that movie. Like, why are Timon and Pumbaa in a Mufasa movie? He never met them. <laughs> All right, well, this is you have to find out watch it to find out, unfortunately. Um the, Sure, you know, of course they were gonna make a sequel to Cyberpunk, and and in some aspects it is very exciting to see, like, you know, they won't be shackled from the get-go from with the last generation of consoles they'll definitely be focusing on like like current gen tech well by the time it actually comes out yeah (laughs) i mean but yeah yes by the time it actually comes out at least they're targeting like more powerful platforms who's to say what the future is on like playstation xbox platforms a decade down the line obviously but you would have to imagine this next project won't be as held back as the previous one was with ps4 and xbox one because what we have right now is are very much capable consoles that are very much like more in tune with modern technology, even on PC. Yeah. Where it's at. So. So that's the announcement on the cyberpunk burst. Obviously Phantom Liberty is still slated for next year. Um, Obviously, the we had already learned that there was a new project in the works for the Witcher series, ostensibly Witcher 4, that I don't think they've officially titled it. Well, we've learned that uh, there are actually several Witcher properties in the works. Uh, and again, these, these are all just project names right now. The, the main one is Project Polaris. This is the next Witcher title currently in pre-production uh, with, as far as I understand, the majority of CG Project Red staff, this is the project they're on, which is the next Witcher project. However, the new news from this week is that uh, they have claimed to, in this investor meeting that once Project Polaris releases, they are aiming to deliver The Witcher 5 and 6 within six years of that release. So stated another way, they're planning to release three Witcher games in the span of six years, which it seems it's ambitious. A lot. 
I, I will say the one saving grace is that if they're if they're targeting the same platforms and they're going to be reusing a lot of assets, sure, sure, they could probably manage it. But it's like still like especially after like all of the like horror stories of crunch on Cyberpunk, it's like hearing we are planning to get two more like AAA Witcher games out within like three years each. It, it it definitely sounds like from the outside looking in as as a statement being like we are planning to throw all of our developers into a novelty size like novelty life like giant sized blender. <laughs> they yeah, will be you, have, you have to you have to hope that they can reuse assets or the fact that they're planning it as a trilogy that they can. Uh, go in with the foresight of knowing what's going to be introduced in the first, second and third game. Like, cause obviously the first three games are called Witchers one, two and three, but each game plays significantly differently. And I think is on a different version of their engines. Um, so maybe this next trilogy of games will be a little bit more, uh, closely tied together in a way. It's one of those things. Cause yeah, the Witcher three was really good. Uh, but obviously we don't want them to, have to the the human cost of creating such ambitious games in such a short span you know i'd rather take your time sort of thing it's like that meme image yeah. where it's like i want i want games with worse graphics that take longer to come out just because i don't want to know that the people that made this game worked 80 hours a week to do it if i were and to I, the, be charitable the one saving grace they have is that they're only saying that they need to do to uh release the two other games within six years of the first game's release. So they yeah, so they could totally, do like production. They, they could totally like not release the first game until they are confident that they can get out the other two within six years. Right. And then, so it's like, will they do that? I don't know. I guess the save another saving grace is that they're going to have two other Witcher projects that are in development by different studios, which can make it so that they don't, have to focus on this uh, new trilogy if they like they can take the time hopefully i mean this I, also I, seems like, like to me to me it's like it's very it's very like it is all subject to change i feel like there will be delays down the road i don't think they mm-hmm. they, they like stick to this plan i think that i think it's it, it's very easy to say now but i think like the reality is there will be delays and the, this this whole plan is the, the the whole timeline will actually be more further extended out you know um, this no, this is another thing that seems very uh this is another thing that seems very investor focused because is anyone yes. here or anyone that's even a big Witcher fan are you more excited for Witcher four knowing that there's also going to be a five and six not really if but anything if I'm less excited I, I I mean not really but then again I like I I I'm into the trail series so it's like it's like kind of like more <laughs> territory too so it's like oh it's like a, a very a very comparable case. <laughs> And then as James uh, alluded to, so there is the Witcher trilogy of games in production under Project Polaris. We also have two spinoffs announced as well. Uh, One of them is Project Sirius. And this is the more confusing one because this is the one that says Project Sirius, the first of the two spinoffs, is an innovative, innovative take on the Witcher universe telling an unforgettable story for existing Witcher fans and new audiences which doesn't give us a lot to latch on to. It's so that's it's like just a, side a story. bunch of buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> get nothing. So this uh, is the project that is being developed by the molasses flood. Uh, it has uh, currently they've stated that there are 60, uh, 60 uh, 
members of the studio working on this. But outside of the fact that it is a unforgettable story in the Witcher universe, there's just not there's not even anything to like speculate from. I guess it likely will have a different protagonist from whoever. We don't know anything about the protagonist of the next Witcher games, whether it's going to be Siri or a new original character or whoever. I'm guessing that this will be a different perspective altogether, even a potentially a different time period. But it's all who knows at this point. Likely a smaller so, so scope. That's what want to hear. They want to hear that it's an unforgettable story for yeah. existing Witcher fans and new audiences. <laughs> Actually, now that I look at these two spinoffs, the second one is actually potentially even more confusing. So, all right. So that's Project Sirius. So to keep track, Polaris, Trilogy, Sirius, Unforgettable Story, side off, side story. Project Canis Majoris. This is the other side. Uh, this is the other spinoff. This is a story-driven, single-player, open-world RPG set within the Witcher universe. So, like... But it's not, it's not going to have an unforgettable story, though? Then why not? But, like... A single player open world RPG in the Witcher universe, so like Witcher 3 and ostensibly Witcher 4. Why not? <laughs> um, this one, Project Canis Majoris, is currently being developed by an unknown third party studio led by ex Witcher veterans, which is strange because if they're making a Witcher game, how are they making a Witcher game? <laughs> So like X C D project devs, but are now whoever devs working on Witcher. <laughs> like uh, the, the the logistics of that and like is like kind of it's kind of humorous, right? Because it's like you're thinking about X Witcher veterans. Like you would you would think that like oh yes, I'm like I'm free from it, uh, developing Witcher. I'm free from like you know C D project. I'm you know I I can start up my my new thing now and go my own path. And then it's like years later, it's like hey, you want to make another Witcher? <laughs> like fuck. We'll pay you this much. It's like fuck. <laughs> well, so between all these Witcher projects, there is, as far as I can tell, no expectation for like which to expect first and later, other than of course the trilogy entries. Like, are we going to see Witcher four before before the side stories, or the side stories before four? It's it's not clear, and we we don't have any accompanying art or anything, which I, just due to the fact that this was seemingly a meeting for financial purposes and investing, you know, rather than for audience consumption but there you go can you imagine uh, if like like can, like i'm just i'm just saying because i like can you imagine like if falcom did this a similar thing of like future projects 10 years down the line it's like all right in the next 10 years we're playing through these seven trails games in a six-year period and uh and maybe three yeast games and that's it and one spinoff one spinoff, maybe for feeling for feeling a fighting good. game. We'll, we're making no, a cart race. Still no now. Tokyo Xander too. <laughs> no, no. What's that? Um, it doesn't always have to be in Tokyo. I mean, they could go to London. It'll be London Xanadu. <laughs> That'd be sick, actually. The the only thing also from this whole investor meeting is that the Witcher Three Wild Hunt uh, current generation upgrade is still slated for at some point this year. So, like within the next three months. So we don't know what the data is on that. It's like, if it's so slated for this year and you don't have, well, well, if it's actually coming out this year, you have a date in mind. If it's not coming out this year, don't say it is. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah, there there isn't much time left in the year out of CD Projekt Red Nose, but there's, uh, we're we're in October now. So yeah, this this is like one of the most like news-packed set of stories that we can't like 
there's not a lot to just even like pull at or speculate from or be excited about because we got a bunch of project names. We learned a little bit about some uh, studios working on these games, but even then it's very nebulous and a mystery on particular the, that last project about who's even working on it. Uh, we we might not be seeing any follow up to any of the stuff other than the Witcher Three update for a while. I won't be surprised yeah. if we don't hear anything next year about this. At, stuff. at the very least, there's no speculation like, "What is CD Projekt Red going to work on next?" It's like, "Don't worry, buddy. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to ask that question in the next five years. You already know. You already know what's." Oh, funny. I can't believe I can't believe I forgot a project. So this is another thing that is very little to to uh to latch on to, but. CD Projekt is also working on a new IP that is outside of either the Cyberpunk or Witcher universe. So here's another project name for us to probably forget. Project Hader, H-A-D-A-R, Hadar, Hadar. Um, so this is a entirely distinct IP created from scratch within CD Projekt. So of course, The Witcher is based off a series of books. CD um, Cyberpunk is based off a tabletop role-playing game. So this third project, Project Hadar, is an original IP from the studio itself. However, I, this I have is, to go, go for it. Go finish your thought. Uh, basically, I was just going to state that this project is only in like IP incubation. It's basically in the conceptual phase. So out of everything that we've listed here, Project Hadar is seemingly the furthest out. It seems like they're kind of in gathering ideas mode or writing kind of a background mode. How Alex wrote this was, and I, I quote, I quoted, the studio says that quote unquote IP incubation has been ongoing since late 2021. And that game currently has a quote unquote strike team in the quote unquote conceptual phase. It's like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it's like they've got, they've got, it's people meeting at, <laughs> they've got three people meeting at a lunch table saying like, what do we think is neat? Uh, uh, is fantasy <laughs> neat, or is it set in space? Does the guy have two arms or four? The protagonist mm. is a single player. I don't know. Just like just <laughs> that's how I'm imagining it. Just like a bunch of guys just brainstorming neat ideas. Well, look at my mind. The, how they came up? How they came up with this project name was in, in Dragon Quest Die. There's a major antagonist named Hadlar, and then so some guy was like a big fan. Is like, what if we just named it Hadar? Just take out the L, and that sounds cool too. <laughs> like, all right. So I mean, sure, I guess. Well, the, the, this this thought of a of a maybe new IP will come out maybe in twenty years, maybe. So I don't know. Sure. At the very so least, which, uh, well, we, we we can't we can't say that CD Projekt Red is making a fuck ton of RPGs in the future. Well, can't blame them for trying. Gotta restore that good name that they lost. I mean, I mean, it's hard to imagine it's, it's, now, but like after The Witcher Three, they were kind of like beloved. They were on top of the world, and they like their reputation has tanked massively in like the last four years. I'll, so, I'll be honest. So I'll be honest. I never really got that because, like, even The Witcher Three had a scandal at launch. It's just it wasn't really popular until it came like day and day on consoles. So I feel like a lot of people forget, but it's like it had a massive like scandal about like how the entire game was basically completely downgraded from like the, its initial like showing. Yeah. The like, ones, you, like that, that, that's how, that was like one of like the, the early instances, like modern instances of like, uh, of like downgraded graphics from after like, uh, the demo builds preview. Demo yeah. Build, when they were like showcasing that around and then like it happened again in cyberpunk, you know, it's just like Witcher, Witcher 3 managed to stay upright and didn't have the bottom fallout. And then they tried the same thing with cyberpunk and, capsized 
and yeah and then now and now it's like and then now we're just like it, it's kind of gotten its resurgence uh, to a certain degree because of the anime you know which is so cyberpunk oddly is like in good quote-unquote good graces again for the most part um so i don't know maybe may, maybe the, it'll take another anime to save one of these uh future projects who can say but can't wait to see know. the project hadar anime let's go I'm, I'm excited i don't even know what the fuck it is but let's go <laughs> Idol schoolgirls with CD Projekt Red. Never mind. I'm out. Fuck that. But yeah, I, for people who are wondering if uh, CD Projekt Red was going to shift genres anytime soon, no, they're firmly an RPG studio through and through. Changing tax entirely, we do have two bits of news from Atlas for this week, and one of which is one that I've kind of introduced earlier. That is, I have not had a chance yet to play Soul Hackers 2, which obviously came out in August, and wanted to try to play it on my Steam Deck. However, Atlas has announced that they are planning a free update patch to Soul Hackers 2, slated for at some point in November, though we don't have a specific date. Uh, so those of you that have played Soul Hackers 2, Adam and... Uh, Josh, tell me how consequential this is. So they are adding a dash function to dungeons. Good. Very good. Okay. Uh, a high-speed mode for battles. Very, very good. And is that pretty much it? Oh, I guess they're adding four new companions. They're adding uh, Pixie, Neko Shogun, Atvaris, and Isis. I recognize three of those. Back up. That Pixie is already in the game. This is the, the, this is the Soul Hackers version of Pixie. Oh, what does that mean? It's just a different design for Pixie. They might have a different like moves as well, but it's just in the original Soul Hackers that had this distinct design for Pixie. That Pixie, don't worry, Pixie, like the, your standard Pixie, like in all Mega Ten and Mega Ten spinoffs, uh, it's still in the game. Like, well, I'm surprised that like Neko Shogun wasn't already in the game. Nope. It, it that has like a weirdly like it's not it's not like a, a super like crazy roster in terms of like when you're talking about quantity. It's still a lot, but not like as much as like you would expect. It's not like the crazy like what three hundred plus demons that like SMT four apocalypse had or something. But I do like I this. Do... I'm, I'm always whenever I read a patch note like this, I'm always curious like what the impetus for this was. Adjusted dialogue selection at soul level increase to reduce accidental selection caused by repeated button presses. It's because when you're in dialogue <laughs> yeah. and like you're just pressing A or whatever to get through it the game would like have these choices pop up for your soul levels and you would accidentally pick one because you were just mashing a button. Yeah. Basically like that at certain points, mashing. yeah, at certain points you like, like you're, uh, you can say like a, a response back, like a multiple dialogue choice. And then like, if you, when you hover these choices, you can actually see like, like almost like a social link rating number to your characters. And like, it'll actually like show you this choice will add like increase the rating for this character or this, Second choice choice will add this rating to this other character. There's like no difference in like the numbers, but it it is a difference of like where you distribute those numbers, and that actually becomes important in the game because to reach like the true ending, you need to have like the these ratings on these characters at a certain threshold uh, to get the true endings like option, and that actually does have like a big gameplay and uh, like it like uh, has an impact on the, like the story and the gameplay of that game. So for me, it's for me, like uh, the fact that they're adding the high speed mode for battle. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I could start playing without that. But I know if I wait until they have that, I know I'll abuse the hell out of that. I always enjoy having a turbo mode for turn based RPGs. So I will likely keep waiting. 
I, yeah, I mean, I, if, if I if I was if I was like I was stuck whether on like whether I should continue playing this game or not, if I was still playing it, I would probably wait for the high speed mode because like I love high speed mode in RPGs, just period. Um, I, like I went through the first voice of cards and they added a high speed high speed battle mode like post launch, and I saw like how much that game ran at like normal mode versus high speed mode. I'm like, this game would be borderline miserable if I didn't uh, play it at high speed battle or high speed mode in general. Um, because the because the standard like speed for that game is so freaking slow. I'm like, uh Slackers mm. 2 is another one of those games where it's hard to believe it was announced in February and out in August. Just like well, it's kind of, when when you, either, you get both sides bad. of the coin. You get you get Atlas doing that or you get uh CD project saying here's what we're gonna be releasing in a decade. It kind of feels bad because like it feels like that that Soul Hacker Suk has like has largely come and gone from my point of view. I don't know how others feel about it, but that to me it that, that is a game that's like, yeah, at least I but I beat it, and then like I never thought about it again after I beat it. Where's Project Free Fantasy? Uh hmm. that doesn't exist. Man, I, I I I don't know, dude. I don't know. Honestly, it feels like it doesn't exist. The other thing that Let's we see. got from Atlas this week are oh, any other final thoughts on Slackers? I was about to say that's or like Project, Project Hadar. That's that's oh, what yeah, the fantasy is. An upcoming Atlas release for next year that we were already aware of were the uh, console and PC ports for Shin Megami Tensei Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4, knowing that Persona 4 is already on PC but is coming to um, uh, Switch and Xbox. We knew those were coming in 2023 after the release of Persona 5 on those consoles. Uh, we got a release date. And it's not a long wait for these games. So Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden, all those remaining ports, are set to release on January 19th. So only like three months away. Hard to believe that because it is already on October 9th, 8th. What is today? What are we recording this on? We're recording this on the 8th. So a little over three months, we'll be able to play Persona 3 Portable on PC and Persona 4 Golden on Xbox if you want. So there's a lot of Persona for those uh, that want to Catch up. Started with five royal. I want to catch up on those games and play them on PC or on Switch or anything like that. This is this is uh these the, this release date announcement is uh technically the the last Persona anniversary announcement according to the Japanese website. Yeah. So anyone who is expecting, oh, they're gonna tease Persona Six or whatnot. Uh, I, I honestly thought they would. Like I didn't expect yeah, like a full fledged like trailer here's the release date coming out in three months but like a, a logo a character a teaser something like that seemed appropriate for yeah well also the announcement of a year-long event nope i'll give people so this one for sure i just yeah. think it's just so funny that like they literally like listed here are all the announcements you're going to do like they, they quantified them and one of them was the announcement of the ports and one of them was the release date like doubled up on one of the, on their like counted announcements here. No, I wasn't. That is, um, is, is uh, the most Atlas move. <laughs> I wasn't following this as closely as you guys, but when they announced this series 25th anniversary, it's the 25th, right? I think yeah. so. Uh, they they included art from like the two Persona two games and Persona one. It's like, oh, are they actually like going to incorporate the whole series? And nope, they it's did. three, four, and five again. No, they did. did they incorporated so? the whole series in terms of like art and merch. Fans. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Not not not, not to say like necessarily from, game ports, but for merch, yes. Yeah, but it seems like from a game front, it's like uh, three, four, and five again, right? It's it's these three games again. 
I mean, even the new like key key visual like for these release date announcements for Persona Three Portable and Persona Four Golden, like it's it's a nice it's a nice like spiritual successor to that initial key art for Persona Three, but it has now Persona Three, uh, 3 Four, and Five protagonists and their personas behind them in a classroom in that same perspective. So it just really drives home. It's like yeah, so much Persona Persona One and Twos. <laughs> so. You know, but hopefully, like now that like there's precedent that like they're they're coming to other platforms and they're open to re-releasing, like the logical thing would be like these things will probably sell well on all the platforms that they're releasing on, and the logical thing would be maybe we should do Persona One and Two, but because it's Atlas, especially modern Atlas, we don't fucking know. They they are very unpredictable. Oh, I must have I must have misspoke. I thought these were coming to Switch too, but I guess not. They yeah. are. Oh, okay. They, we don't have the logo on Switch for P3 Portable yet on our site. Well, oh, you like, know why? So. You know why we don't? It's because why? of the way these were announced. They like announced the Xbox port, and then they announced like the PC port, and then they announced the Switch port. Like, yeah, we like updated it after they announced the Xbox and PC, but then not Switch because the way they did these like staggered platform port announcements. So it's Atlas's mm-hmm. fault. Like, yeah, like no, even they, even then, like the, the this release date announcement, I, like from what I see, like the the only official things to, about these release date announcements is like it only lists them for, for Xbox, like consoles and Windows, um, even in, just like in Japan as well. But like going by like the way that they uh, previously announced Persona Five Royal and like and and the staggered release date announcements, we're like we're assuming like this is going to be a similar deal, in the way that like, they they announced this for other platforms with the same release date it's so dumb what what, what deal yeah it's it ends up being that like microsoft just ends up being the megaphone for like a multi-platform announcement but they're like it's coming to xbox and then like put notes and and pc and switch and steam (laughs) yeah remember when we had to like we all had like we had like that few uh, like like almost like 20 hours of like is this only for xbox or is this coming to anything else is this coming to pc also is there coming like it like like it was like that whole thing a few months back on when they first announced these like uh re-releases for persona it's like this is not just for xbox right <laughs> it was everyone everyone's mind and then now it's just like oh and i'm looking back at some of our news posts from the summer and yeah it was a nintendo direct mini partner showcase also in june we're oh, like oh yeah. yeah these are also these are also coming to switch yes so, all right yeah so, so okay yeah so sorry sorry for the confusion but yeah it's and due to the fact that the way that they announced these was inherently kind of confusing, but coming to PC, Switch, and Xbox, and Windows Storm, and all that stuff. And yes, we know that Persona 4 Golden's already on PC, but uh, I saw like a, someone saying, like, it's already on PC. How come you're announcing it's coming for PC? It's just like, well, it's it's easier just to say it's coming to everything that it's not already on, rather than having that footnote. Because that was kind of a... I wonder if that was like a almost like a proof of concept. Like, yeah, we can release these on PC and have success with this. So now let's get five and Persona 3 Portable on there. Yeah, I imagine that's a big driving factor. I mean, Persona 4 Golden sold a, a shitload on, on Steam and came out. It was like a shadow drop too. Was was that the first one or was Strikers first? I'm trying to remember. Well, Do Golden we know how first. much Persona 5 costs like on PC? Uh, 60. Just, okay, because it's an, obviously a much newer game, but... One of the reasons I think Persona 4 did well, it was like $30 or maybe yeah. $30 at launch, like older game, but still like that's a good price point. Whereas I know people were complaining that Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne was 50 Yes. Granted, that one had the new voice acting and whatnot, but 
yeah I, I i do agree that like it is still pretty high price yeah. for that yeah and obviously I, with the, uh, I, DLC I, for uh dante and whatnot yeah and i am i imagine people like you know there'll be definitely a crowd that like will wait for discounts for persona 5 royal but i think a lot of people are just so excited for Persona 5 Royal that I think the the $60 price tag might not deter as much people as we might think. For other key uh, news bits here, this next one's more of a financial update and we're not like a financial or business focused site. So we don't talk about this a lot, but this one has just some interesting context around it. And we're going to be talking about Triace here. Triace is the developer, obviously, of the upcoming Star Ocean, the Divine Force, the main developer of the series in general. Um, Kite ended up posting about this just because it's pretty interesting that we got a financial update for the studio and we learned that in the last year that they have posted a very, very large loss for the company. Let me just interrupt you real quick because I guess Triace's fiscal year goes from July to July, unlike companies which are April to April. Um, So it is, you know, October now. So we're getting the we're getting the results for their previous year that just ended couple months ago so yeah so as of june as of june 2022 trice's financial results are down 42.9 percent from the previous period that's a loss of um 625 million yen uh so basically they have been doing much poorer financially between 2021 and 2022 than than they had previously and i was trying to ask uh, josh a little bit uh, like why is this inherently interesting obviously other than the fact that they're releasing a game at the end of the month uh and you had a, you had some interesting insight on that yeah uh obviously like you know uh, before star ocean the divine force was announced uh, and coming out like the the big thing that was really carrying triace throughout the years was their star ocean anamnesis uh, mobile game, the free-to-play mobile game. It shut down years ago with the global version, unfortunately, but in Japan, it was still going strong you know, for uh, quite a while, but it, it recently uh, closed, uh, shut down in Japan uh, last year in June. And when you think about it, the, like that like that game made them a boatload of money from year to year. Um, just It was very, a very strong game throughout them. And now... Like that was like their only like kind of remaining game, so they kind of had to like work on Star Ocean: The Divine Force, without really getting much income, especially not getting that income that they would normally get from Anamnesis. So, like when you when you think about like the the contributing factors of like why are their financials so like way below than what they've been previously, it's because you know they don't have the financial backing and income that their um, Star Ocean mobile game had previously. And they're now they they currently don't have like a new like console game like out on the market as of this point and now that they're working on. So when you combine those factors of basically not having income from their strongest title in years, but in, in terms of like money, not necessarily quality, but in terms of the financials, plus developing a new game entirely from scratch, um, it obviously will result in their financials taking a very very big dip i think there's another element to this too i mean that's like the current that's all good and true and correct but also just like trice has been around quite a while like after spinning off of namco's wolf team way back when to make the original star ocean they're kind of like a classic jrpg developer and maybe they lost their luster in recent years but like back in the day and they've been around a while like they have some pretty big classics on their hit on their hits on their like record and the fact that it's like it's not it's not 
unseeable that they could maybe not be around for much longer if things don't shape up soon. So it's like it's just kind of sad, right? <laughs> From you know, that, uh, like, like it's it's not it's like you know it's not it's not unreasonable or, uh, like to think that like hey if like if they continue to like go down on this downward trend that like you know Square Enix are just like they're, they're not under Square Enix um there but it's like under Nepro Japan. I was, I was also yeah. looking into this um. Uh, a lot of Enix properties from the back, back from back in the day, like for example, Square Enix does not own the Dragon Quest IP. They own the games. It's actually owned by Armor Project, which is like basically Hori's company. Um, and the reason why that is is because of how Enix was set up back in the day. But Star Ocean is a little different. Star Ocean is owned by Square Enix. If Star, if, if Square Enix wants to, they can have someone else do it. <laughs> It's like so, how they did like with like like the Valkyrie IP, you know, like yeah, Valkyrie profile, profile yeah, was was not like was a Triace project. To, yeah, it's not tied to Triace. The Valkyrie profile IP is with Square. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a big problem with with Triace. They don't seem to own any of their IPs, in my opinion. It's like they're just contracted to do these work, and if they don't have anything. They're kind of screwed. Yeah, like they, 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 I'm trying to think of like a, a like a single like recognizable IP that Triace has worked on. I don't think they don't. Disc archive. Do this? No, I don't think there's there, there's no way. They they developed that, but I don't know I if they they, they own that. Is that right? Uh, Maybe uh, or or no access localized it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll look this up. I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Triace developed uh, Exist Archive. I remember that. I don't. I, I do not think they own the IP to that. And but even yeah. if they did, like, who cares? It's Exist Archive. I think the only thing they own is probably Resonance of Fate. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, Resonance of Fate is Sega, and yeah. I just checked. Exist Archive okay, is no, Spike Chunsoft. So, Exist Archive is what you said? Spike Chunsoft. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they don't really own. I was, any I was, other, look, I was uh, looking up. I was looking up Trice Project, and they made a game called Silent Scope Bone Eater. And I'm like, what is this? Oh no, I've never heard of it. Oh Konami. <laughs> yeah. So ever played the Silent Scope arcade game back in the day? Nope. No, those, okay, those, well. those, those are cool. But uh, but either either way, like it's just you know, um, I, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be here on BPR and be like go get Star Wars of the Divine Force, but like. I, I'm gonna. It's not unreasonable to think that, like, hey, if you want to see more Triace games in the future, like, I, I assume the the sales of Star Wars and the Divine Force will have a, a an impact. I'm not, I don't know to say if it's a significant impact. I don't know how much. I'm not. You know, I have no idea how much it it will factor into their future. But I assume, logically speaking, having healthy sales for the next Star Ocean game coming out will bode well for them. And hopefully, like, I I really want. Like in my mind, like for a low risk, low investment, like uh, future for Triace, like I would, I would think logically that Square Enix would want them to like re-release their older catalog as well, like the stuff that they put out during the PS1 and PS2 era, because like Square Enix has been on the spree of like re-releasing m- much of their older catalog. And for what it's worth, I'm pretty sure Triace didn't have anything to do or very little to do. With the PSP versions of Star Ocean One and Two, and also Valkyrie Profile Lenith, I'm pretty sure Triace also doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. I think basically they developed the original, and then Square Enix kind of took it over from there. Yeah, uh, Kite actually mentioned this uh, at the end of his article, saying that um, the st- the studio may not have had a direct hand in the newer remasters of Star Ocean First Departure R and Valkyrie Profile Lenith, as these titles do not exist on Triace's pro portfolio 
on their site, and Square Enix did only mention original version developed by Treyace, Treyace in their copy, copyright segments, as opposed to Last Hope's uh, Star Wars of the Last Hope's uh, developed by Triace Inc. Uh, like specifically mentioning that they developed it. I, I almost forgot about Star Ocean First Departure R. I'm surprised they uh, never ported that anywhere else, and they never followed up with the um, the second entry. Yeah, it's so puzzling. It's like it's one of those things that's like a re-release of the second Star Ocean game would probably do very well these days. But I don't know. Yes, yeah, so first, know. so first departure. R, I needed to remind myself. Yeah, first departure R came out only on PS4. Yes. Oh no! Wait, also Switch. It never came to PC. Oh yeah, also Switch. Yeah. Yeah, so, it never. So yeah, the thing I was thinking is that it never came to PC. But we'll see. Well, I'm very curious to see what Triace does after Divine Force. Hopefully, they're working on something after mm-hmm. Divine Force, you know. But like I, I would, yeah. I, like like we've all like we've all said it again and again. We really hope that this next Star Ocean game is very good. Like it, it's shaping up to be a cool game. We just hope, like you know, once the rubber meets the road, it actually is a really good game. Yeah, yeah. Star Ocean, like ever since two, has kind of been a series. Maybe three has been a series that has had the potential but has never quite met it. I'm very, so, very interested about whatever the hell that like one card game is that's in it. Cause like they didn't say it was under embargo. And like I saw a hint that there's something there that you can play. And it's like, what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be interesting? Yeah, they they, they showed off off in like in a Japanese trailer, like like the mini game, like the like the, the one that uses action figures. Like they showed a little bit of that off, and that looks it looks neat. Uh we got uh some Excuse me. We got some updates for the upcoming Tactics Ogre Reborn. So these are from a website update as well as a newsletter from uh, from Square Enix. So Josh ended up putting together basically two news dumps for all the updates for Tactics Ogre Reborn. And it seems like both of these are kind of slated for those that are f- familiar with the uh, PSP version of the game. Let us cling together. And it talks about how certain mechanics under the hood work differently compared to the uh previous versions of the game some of these we've kind of already talked about such as uh the crafting is now successful 100 percent of the time uh they talked about some differences where in certain classes before for certain abilities required technical points in order to uh pull off their moves but now that that has been replaced with just a basic mp requirement uh i don't know josh as you put this together because there's like quite a list of things here about unit development and about all those things that have been updated for this new version of the game yeah, that, there's uh, a, there's a lot that they actually like revealed. Like the the, the crafting success being 100 percent is actually new. That's not something they they uh, mentioned. No, they've said they they think they yeah. showed that at TGS. I know they showed, they showed the most. I know items. a friend of mine, Duckroll, if you know him, yeah. saw this earlier and was like super hyped about it uh, around the TGS time frame. So it must have been mentioned somewhere. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah. I, I might. Have, I know they showed off like footage, but they showed off like the, it was more so the the focus on the multiple items. I might have missed like it being 100 percent of the time on that like little clip but i know the multiple like crafting multiple items and that little clip they shared at tgs was like new and unannounced before it's like yeah okay, that's, the, that's the crafting cool. thing was always just kind of dumb because it's like oh you only have a 90 percent chance of it being successful so you of course well of course what do you do you save and then you just reload it yeah. until it works so it's just kind of like a pointless thing it's like just make it 100 percent. come on yeah because you do so much crafting in that game in general so it's just like you know, having to go through that process is dumb but yeah, like the first bit was like they they put up a new blog that they usually do these days, and like just talking about like a you know, a good handful of the characters in the game and their profiles and some of the classes. It's it's standard stuff. 
Um, it, it was funny to see that one of the commenters on that was like, "Oh, I didn't know Canopus was like forty nine years old. That's that's a cool tidbit." They're like she's <laughs> also a Birdman. Oh who yeah, knows eight, who knows what their like lifespan is? Um, so but yeah, the, there's a lot of things they shared. Like the like it, it wasn't even like in the it was kind of tucked away. It was like on their assets page on their press site. It was just like unassuming. They didn't put up like any like press release for it on the on the site. It's just like an asset that you found. Which is like Square Enix is doing this more often, where they just they just put up like like information on their site, like it's like their press site, not their public site, and they don't like tell anyone that it's there. They just kind of like post it, and then like you kind of have to just stumble across it. Like you literally just go to the website for some reason, like oh here it is. Yeah, very weird. But uh, but some of the key points that like you know a a lot of uh, people who have played Tactics Ogre let let us cling together, they'll notice right away, like. Equipment no longer has like uh, restrictions, like level restrictions, or like meeting certain like specialty skills to equip it. Like pretty much every a- anyone can equip whatever they want. The only restrictions are like class restrictions. Like knights can't equip like uh, like a bow and arrow, for example, stuff like that. So you're more more versatile on like uh, uh, your uh, equipment all around now. Like just being able to equip them from the get go. Um, Speaking like of bow and arrow, they've got the uh, trajectory prediction. So if you're like yeah. firing near a cliff or up a hill, you can see if that is actually going to hit your target or hit. I saw unit in someone the way. mentioning that archers have been nerfed a bit because they were, especially in the early game, very powerful. So yes. I, so well, Canopus uh, is an archer, right? Yes, and Canopus can is very good. <laughs> yeah, archers are god in uh, let us cling together. But the, yeah, may, maybe the yeah they definitely said that there should be a lot of bounce re- readjustments. Uh, in this uh, re-release, so just just uh, you know, having working existing knowledge of like quote unquote meta in uh, previous tactics ogres, like you know, might not work to your uh, to your benefit because, like for example, like the rogue class is like an enemy only unit now. That is not the rogue classes can no longer be uh, played. Uh, for I'm, the reason. things I'm curious about, like it's sort of hard for me to know. Like I never really had a problem with like the technical point system compared to the magic system. You like had to build it up if I remember correctly to do skills. And now it just comes from all all comes from one pool. Is that like that sounds that sounds like a significant change? But will it like functionally change like I, my I, thoughts I on mechanics? Like, it's hard, it's hard to know until I like play it for a pretty bit. Pretty much, you know? yeah. Like because because it feels like 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 your, the general like HP and MP pool feels like way more inflated than like the original release. Like especially HP. So mm-hmm. it's just like like I don't know. Like will that really like uh change like my decision making when using them because like you said they weren't really hard to pull off and let us think together like i I never would have told you like oh i really wish they changed the tp system you know i never would have told you that so so it's like oh i guess they changed it i'll see how that works (laughs) yeah then you like you know they have like a new items called charms now that you can equip on your party members and they have like different effects so like on some of them like it'll make like grinding easier First, uh, catching classes up, but then you also have they took out like random encounters in the world map from the uh, and now they just they replaced it with, like like training battles that you can do. Um, that uh, that like your your characters can't die these training battles, they're mainly for like hey, if you want to grind units in, like in a more safe environment, you can do it. And this game does have auto battles, like, like an optional auto battle feature, so they have like certain like presets that like you can uh, th- uh tweak with the auto battles, and then like if you just like want to like have your your units like kind of grind themselves up um on their own uh you can do that and like just not pay attention to the game at a certain point but like the, there, there's like a there's a limit to how much you can grind in this game because there's a new like party like 
team limit or limit system where just like there's like an upper level, higher level where you can't like at certain points of the story, like say like your party level will be like let's say level ten. You can't go over level ten uh until like you get you progress more into the story. So it's basically like the FF thirteen uh system where like you can't overgrind yourself. But the party I'm level, wondering this is something I feel feel like I forgot, but Chow would remember because Chow has a good memory. There, what is the system called where, like, if you go too law or too evil, like people might leave you? Like, um, I do know what you're talking about. Uh, basically, you were too like faithful. It's like they were. Um, again, I, I'm thinking about Final Fantasy Tactics when your faith system is too high. <laughs> it's like they become religious and they just leave your group. No, 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 yeah, oh, I know what you're talking about, but I, yeah, I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder I if that was. Like, I wonder if that was tweaked at all because I remember playing the PSP version, which I love. But like, there were points where like, oh, this character is like really picky about like my current like, like morale or not morale is not the right word, but like how morale good or evil I am. Uh, yeah, um, so I had to like grind up like my levels to keep them around. Um, let me. I'm gonna look this up. I forget what the system is called. It's like on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. So but while you look that yeah. up, uh, we did get one other slight piece of news from the, one of their social media accounts. I forget if it was a Square Enix account or account specific for the game, but we got a preview at some of the uh, some of the English voice acting for the game that uh, made uh, the rounds. It's 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 one of those things. Like it feels like some of the English voice clips they've shared don't sound great, but then others is like perfectly fine and serviceable but i still wouldn't call it great and like and, they, and they've done they've done like uh they've shared a lot more close like the japanese like audio and like even the japanese voice track like is like it's okay to me they're like serviceable but i wouldn't call them like like wow that's awesome so like it, it's kind of like led me to like just maybe just like turning off voices in like my playthrough of this game <laughs> like that's what i'm thinking uh, right now like that, that's my current trajectory right now I'm like maybe i should just turn off voices because i'm not really feeling any of the voice tracks in this game so far so i don't I know i'm i forget which character it was but i was i was i from a distance was following along in our discord channel and adam was like before i listen to this i'm going to imagine the voice in my head i'm imagining it's going to be like some snide you know studio character and he's going to sound a little bit like this and then his next thing was just dot 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 <laughs> just when he, actually <laughs> listened to the, when he actually listened to the voice clip and he's like what was that <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I, 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 for, I forget the I forget the context, but I remember saying like for English voice acting for whatever reason, a lot of times it sounds a lot better in context. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but just the, what they've shown, like what they've advertised the game with, it's like you're, this is what you're going with for showing off the voice acting. And obviously, or I won't say obviously. I hope there's like an audio slider where you can just turn the voices to minimum and just play it as if it were on PSP and just you don't need voice acting. Yeah, I I, 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 I imagine that like. They've had it like in almost all their releases, so mm-hmm. I yeah, I'm I'm thinking of just like turning that slider to zero and living my life the way I want to, which is fine. We're not, we're not throwing shade really at like any of the voice tracks. Like if you want to play it in English, you want to play in Japanese, go for it. You know, it's just like I'll talk about personal preferences and options, and and uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, other than that, like you know, there's uh, other neat gameplay tweaks. Like you can revive like incapacitated units, so. When their HP goes to zero, there'll be an incapacitated state, and you just have to go over to them. Kind of like Valkyria Chronicles, you know, make sure that you get to them in a certain time before that, that timer goes to zero. So, 
other than that, it's like it's kind of like just a neat like, hey, did like, um, this is how we're revamping the game. It's not just like a one to one like uh, remaster, like with everything intact. They kind of just spelled out like all the tweaks coming, which is nice to know. It's 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 kind of it's kind of a shame. Like despite all these like gameplay things, like it's really cool for like fans coming back to it. Like still the major complaint, and maybe rightly so, is like just the pixel filter in this game is like. Just the the overwhelming response to this whole project is like not even like in response to these gameplay changes. It's like, man, the short just kind of looked like kind of bad, just from the because of the way they decided to filter the just because of the the visual presentation really. And I don't know if they're gonna allow you to like mess with the visual filter whatsoever. Like hopefully, 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 like that's just like one of those like last thing announcements, or maybe just like an option you find at release. But I don't think they're. I think uh, this is OG graphic mode. I just want them. Let me turn it off at least. Something that just. I don't know. I don't like that washout look. Yeah. Adam, did you learn what that system was called? No, I can't find it. Uh, I know. Just shout. Just but... shout and interrupt us when you do find it. <laughs> there, there's one thing I want to say. You know. Yeah. I, I was saying. You know, I was playing Final Fantasy 14, and I did the Ivalice raid, and I was like, damn. I really want voice acting in Final Fantasy Tactics now after hearing Thunder God Sid's voice. So that was for me in English. I mean, I, I would take a tactics port of any sort playable on a modern platform. And, you know, I think that's that's not an uncommon wish for fans. Hey, you can play it on your iOS. You have an iPhone, don't you? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. I can play it on my own. <laughs> there you go. You, you did see you'll take any modern, modern re-release. There, there you go. Uh, damn it. I guess I did <laughs> say that. <laughs> no, put it, put it on Steam. Actually, that's the only one I'll accept. No, well, you're uh, speaking. Now. Nah, damn it. Well, uh, speaking of Final Fantasy XIV, uh, right before we started this podcast, uh, James and Chow reminded me that there was a live letter this last week that is detailing the upcoming uh, patch, patch six, patch six point two five. So, as always with Final Fantasy XIV, uh, I went over to NovaCrystals.com to try to glean what this was. But and someone that's not well versed in Final Fantasy XIV in general. For me, it's a bunch of gobbledygook. So I'll go hand it off to uh, to James, just to see like from this uh, live letter, just what are the kind of like the key highlights for this upcoming patch that is releasing next week. There isn't really that many major announcements from the live letter this time because like six point two already came out. This is just like some some smaller details. Like it, we already know what's coming to six point two five. There was a reiteration that six point three will have an ultimate. Um, there was some like kind of how the uh, sausage is made uh, details about how the writing of 14 works and like the process and like how many, like some details about the team members that work on specific uh, like quest lines and stuff, it, which was really interesting, but not really something we should go on here. It's just like, if you, if you're interested in that stuff, there is like a summary of it with the slides that they showed on Nova Crystallis. Uh, the there's two major um, announcements I'd say. Uh, first off, FanFest is coming back. So um, right. starting next year, uh, um, FanFest will um, be happening in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, London, and in uh, other places around the world in person. Yeah, a lot of my friends were very excited that they announced that FanFest is coming back. I guess this also means that like they're going to start showing off like the next expansion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually, they have the announcement trailer for the expansion at FanFest 
um, because of the timing of this and usually how long they want to have the gap between the announcement and the release, it looks like that the 7.0 expansion won't be coming out next year. It'll probably be either early next year or in the summer. So they might be trying to stretch things out a bit to uh, get back on the summer release schedule for expansions. We'll see. Um, I don't think so. I think it'll probably be like March or April. So like March uh, or April, like, like, like release date, like 2024 or 2023? 2024. Okay. I think that's what they'll probably end up doing. Cause they always want it. Well, it depends. It can kind of go on either side of it because you know how things go. It depends, I, I guess, on how Square feels about their financials, I'd imagine. But uh, yeah, FanFest is coming back. Uh, there were some things shown off. Like they had a weapon design contest leading into Endwalker. And now like after Endwalker, they did have a separate mini contest for the two jobs added with Endwalker. So we do have some designs for Sage and Reaper that are going to be implemented in the game, as well as an announcement that there's like people can design new like furnishing for housing. And uh, there might be a chance that that'll get added to the game. They kind of finished it off saying that All Saints Wake, so the Halloween event will be happening in uh, on uh, October 19th through... Uh, they didn't actually say when it was going to end, but um, patch 6.25 comes out on October 18th. So in about a week and a half, any, any significant things coming with that new patch that you're looking uh, forward that, to? Yeah. Criterion dungeons. I feel like that's what most people are interested in. Cause um, we quite frankly, like we've heard a lot about how they're supposed to work, but there's a lot that we just won't know until people have a chance to play it for themselves. Like especially the higher tier difficulties of it, they've they've talked a really like big game about how difficult they're supposed to be to the point where they said that they were almost tempted to give it the savage version of those dungeons, the ultimate moniker instead. So we'll have hmm. to see if uh, all that talk was for nothing or if it's actually going to match up to reality. That sounds pretty difficult then. Yeah, but yeah, I was just gonna say. Um... What, what was it? Uh, they announced the relic weapon quest that you could do in six point two five, or is that after? It's going to be in six point two five. Okay, but, but that yeah, doesn't like... really matter to the majority of players. So I do like how you mentioned there is a little bit of just behind the scenes information uh, in this live letter. The one thing that I picked out of there was one of the writers, Natsuko Ishikawa, says they they like to write their their lines in Notepad rather than Word or Excel, so that there is no like format conversion problems with oh, yeah. it into the into that, the proper yeah. place, which is that something I sense. think we've all run into in one time or another. Uh, so, Josh, I'm sorry again. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. It's, it's okay. Like you know, it's just one of those things that like just behind the scenes, like you know, the way that like uh, we we work with our CMS behind the scenes. Like a lot of our our writers, me included, we we tend to write our drafts in Google Docs. And then we all find our own different ways to like uh, convert it from like Google Docs to the CMS because if you do a straight if you do a straight copy and paste, you like, have to it, like highlight everything and then click uh, remove text formatting. Yeah, yeah. Usually have to I do that. I forgot yeah. to do that with an article. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, like I just get after people and, get, and kind of uh, pull on their legs a little bit. Like, hey, come on, you know, like remove the formatting here. Like, it, like it, I, it just looks weird on the page. So, like, I, like I, it reminds me, of like, like when uh, Brian was saying, like, uh, the 
you know, using the notepad, like kite uh, mentions, like, yeah, what I like to do is like, like I, I kind of do it non-conventional because I do it from Google Docs, then put it to notepad, then on the CMS, because doing it through that way will remove the formatting because if you do it through a notepad first. He's so well, the, 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 the senior, the senior writer uh, on Final Fantasy 14 does the exact same thing or the story designer. Uh, so Valid you know, validation, not, maybe not that unorthodox at all. So that, that was an interesting tidbit that you decided to take out. It's like, oh, that's how Kite does it. <laughs> for for me, I do the the laziest way, and like I do uh, edit, select all, and then I do Control C, and then when I when I paste it, I do I hold down sh Control Shift and V on the CMS, so it'll automatically remove the. <laughs> ah, formatting. yeah, that makes sense. The, the, the thing is, is that uh, not all applications support Control Shift V. I think our CMS does, but in other places, yeah, like right. I, man, I wish it, I wish it all worked like that universally, like with just in the OS. But. Yeah, the our the yeah our CMS supports that thankfully because if it was like if it did it I'd be like all right well maybe I'll do I'll do kite swing. <laughs> By the way, I learned what the tactics ogre thing was. Oh yeah. <laughs> so there's actually two things. One is simple. I it's just a loyalty stat for each character, and like if you're doing the other routes, like you grab a unit from the chaos route and then you do the law route. Sometimes you have to like be careful about their loyalty stat because they'll be like disagreeing with all your decisions and then they can't. I know there are. I remember if I remember correctly, the samurai guy was really finicky. You had to get him to like stick around because he's like very picky about I what you want to do. The loyalty stat. Uh, yeah. And then there's also the stat called chaos frame. I think that's the one I was thinking of chaos frame. And it's not as important for character except for one character, Chrysidia, who is the necromancer. You have to have a certain chaos frame to get her. So those are that's that those are the stats I was thinking of and kind of curious. Like, I wonder if those are going to be changed at all. In the re in the reborn version, we'll see. There you go. The more you learn. The next, uh, I know we're already two and a half hours in, so all these remaining pieces of news we'll probably just touch on uh, on a more high level. We have a bunch of trailers for some upcoming games that have released and dropped in the last week, and obviously discussing trailers. I want to make sure that we're discussing it in a manner that is meaningful, other than just saying just go watch the trailer. Um, one of which, the one I'll open with, is the one that we introduced earlier, way earlier in the podcast, about the upcoming One Piece Odyssey, which, again, in case you forgot, is uh, releasing next year in early January on the 13th, for those of us in the States. Uh, when we last saw One Piece Odyssey out of TGS, there was a teaser at the very end of the, one of the TGS trailers suggesting that Vivi, a major character early in the series from the Alabasta arc, would somehow make an appearance. Well, the trailer that we got this week introduces how that exactly happens. So we know that One Piece Odyssey is a standalone story that is non-canon to the manga or the show. However, it will apparently feature an arc where they revisit the story of Alabasta in some sort of memory sequence, in which case Vivi will un uh, understandably take a major role. So for those that have nostalgia for early One Piece, I imagine that this is hitting them right in the nostalgia feels. For me, which like I didn't watch a lot of One Piece, but I did watch at least through the Alabasta arc. And to me, this just kind of seems a little bit like having your cake and eating it too, where it's like, oh, don't worry, this is a standalone story. You don't need to be caught up completely with One Piece in order to enjoy One Piece Odyssey. But also we want we want to hit you in the nostalgia. So you like Alabasta, right? You like Vivi, right? Here's we have that in the game too. It's a memory sequence, so don't think too deeply about it. Um I don't mean that as cynically as I sound. I do think that it actually is kind of a smart idea. But it does kind of tell me that the story of this game might be a little bit kind of all over the place if they're incorporating like memory sequences that tie into the uh the overall narrative in a loose way in addition to the uh 
the standalone story. This is this is probably where I was like, Adam, I'm not re- I'm not writing this up. You do it because you know it. <laughs> I was like, I'm not touching this. This seems like I, I've been I, I, the this piece of news drop. I'm being filtered right now. I I don't know anything. I would have to go to like the wiki, the One Piece wiki, and be like, I don't know what's going on. So that, that that's that's all I got out of it. I skimmed the trailer. I'm like, I have no idea what any of this is. I don't. And I even asked Adam. I was like, What's a bond clay? You said a bond clay. And, and uh, like, the the trailer the trailer itself just even outside of introducing reintroducing alabasta uh does just show a lot of new footage and i think that the game just has a really nice charming art style i'm still trying to get used to that i forget her name the, the game original characters look is very distinct Lim. and kind of different Lim. just like a five um, head or a six head instead of a forehead <laughs> not only that her eyes are Dang. very low on her head and her head is like very small for her body and like all right it's Oda kind of has some interesting like body proportions in his art style anyway. So I'm not trying to be too judgmental for being like not anatomically correct. Look, at the very anything. least, we know we like, like people are popularizing one piece uh got character proportions through the Street Fighter 6 character creator. <laughs> I've seen a little bit of that over the gigantic over the weekend so gigantic arms, yeah. <laughs> so So yeah, just kind of a fun trailer and it shows a lot of uh not a lot of strict gameplay, but a lot of cutscenes and a good look at the art style and things like that. This is also oh, we did? Um, this isn't okay. this isn't the first One Piece game to do this, but people have noticed that uh, everyone gets a mini map except for Zoro. And if you're not familiar with One Piece, it's because one of Zoro's character traits is he always gets lost. Yeah, so he doesn't he's get just a mini like map. me for real, for real. <laughs> uh, we did also get a very long trailer, a 14 minute gameplay overview for the upcoming Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. So uh, I made sure to watch through all of this to, so that I could actually speak to it to some extent before the podcast. And a lot of it is kind of touching on gameplay aspects that have already been shown or announced, but just giving it a little bit more detail. For instance, the last time or one of the last times we saw Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, they introduced that the game will progress through like three different story routes. You've got your typical uh gym challenge which they're calling victory road we've got this challenge where you like uncover mysteries of the area which is they're calling path of legends this is like the one that incorporates that giant crab pokemon who i'm forgetting who the name was that they showed in a previous trailer that makes a reappearance here and then the uh the evil gang of this um of this region team star uh they are calling that story progression its own separate thing starfall street so for those, if this game is more open-ended and more uh, just kind of more sandboxy than the typical Pokemon game, it seems like those are the three major routes in which uh, the story can progress. There was a lot of footage and gameplay co- talking about the terrorization where they crystallize and pick, uh, take on a different element, a Terra element, uh, showing how wild, wild Pokemon can, uh, can take advantage of that, how Terra raid battles work and things like that. What else was there? There's instead of a curry cooking mini game, there's like a sandwich making mini game. Yeah, yeah, so that's a bit the, silly. The, 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 the Where did the like... ham come from? <laughs> oh no, Lechonk, watch out! <laughs> but yeah, the, the main new feature is like they were like uh, emphasizing this one it was like the picnics and like uh, you know like you've seen like uh, when you have when you go to picnics, you can like wash your Pokemon, they get dirty, and then they like you said, there's like this whole like constructing a sandwich mini game. Like you can actually like for like you know make meals for the Pokemon and you, um, and like James was alluding to, there are some there's some meat that you can put in there, but they won't. They're being secret. I'm like, where's the where's this meat coming from? 
Personally, like, personally, I, I prefer it when Pokemon doesn't like uh, doesn't hold back and just go like really commits to the idea of Pokemon being animals, which means, of course, people eat them. Well, what was that um, um, other game that's like a Pokemon like, but it was like a m- more grim version of Pokemon? Um, Owl World or something? So- something like it's like it's, a, it's like an incoming thing where there's like there's like these factories and like the Pokemon are working in the factories. And I don't have, want like, that grim dark. I, I, and you have like a gun in I, them. I, like, I want <laughs> realistic, not grim dark. Yeah, it's a it's a very very weird version of like you know, the, the, taking the Pokemon concept into like its uh, grim extreme. I forgot what it was called off the top of my head, but yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know why, but a part of this trailer that I just am dying at, even though it's not that funny, is the guy trying to put a cucumber on a sandwich and he just misses. He just whiffs. Just falls <laughs> off. It's happened to all of us. Except me. I don't put cucumbers in sandwiches because cucumbers are disgusting. Yeah. What are your thoughts on pickles? Uh, also vile. disgusting. All right. Just the most heinous thing on earth, really. What are your thoughts on ham? Really good. Uh, I can't right, have it that really much, good. but it's good. It's good. Um, they also uh, introduced uh, the, they introduced the TM machine, and they call it literally the technical machine machine in the game. <laughs> I like that. Um, you can use like these mats that you uh, get from Pokemon and league points that you earn throughout the story to like craft TMs uh, f- for you. They're like consumables of uh, Pokemon moves, and like uh, like they're, they're only single use, but you can craft them as many times as you want as long as you have the mats for them. Is this a good move, James? Um, for what? A TM machine machine. The, the technical I, machine machine. So it's a trade-off. Like in previous games, you had, well, in Generation 5, I believe, TMs were permanent, so you could always use them. And then I believe in either Gen 6, well, I don't know when they explicitly add them, but they added TRs, which are basically discs, well, TMs that break after one use, so like old-style TMs. So now instead of having it be that it's like, oh, you have to buy TMs and they break, or instead of having it be where it's permanent, they're making it so that you get materials that you can craft into TMs that you can then teach Pokemon. And it's like, I'm seeing a lot of people that dislike the change, and I understand why. But I think from a gameplay loop perspective, especially with with the fact that they're showing that even when you do like the let's go um action that lets your Pokemon kind of just like go hog wild and attack whatever they see, you still get the materials. So if you know where to get the materials, I don't think it's going to be that bad. And if anything, it gives you a reason to keep like exploring in areas that you already have been to. Cause it's like, well, if you want to teach a Pokemon a specific move and you need like materials from battling certain wild Pokemon, it won't take that much longer than it currently does. It's just like, it is an additional step. I can understand why people don't like it. Personally, I think it's a good move. Uh, time to uh, craft tables of drop drop free tables of uh, mats in this game. That's what it's going to lead to. Where do I find X mat? Well, we already kind of had a little bit of that in uh, Arceus, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm really excited for this. And then James uh, touched on it, but we saw a little bit when they first introduced how some like the Team Star hideouts would work, how there is a battle option independent from the traditional turn-based. I forget if it was named before this trailer, but yeah, it's called Let's Go. It's uh, a, a kind of a, a command that you give to your Pokemon that allows them to behave uh, more independently so you can battle wild Pokemon without going into a, an independent battle screen for each. So uh, kind of a good move. You can kind of see how that came out of the gameplay 
of Legends Arceus and should hopefully help remove the tedium from fighting while Pokemon, especially if you're going to be doing it more frequently to uh, gather resources and things like that. And then out of this 14 minute trailer, they revealed a grand spanking number of one new Pokemon. And we already we already talked about this earlier, right? Yeah, the, the, the evolution giraffe. Gir- yeah. Well, well, how do you pronounce the the Girafarig? Is that the Girafarig? Yeah, Girafarig. Yeah. Sorry. So when I, no, when I saw the first, when I saw I saw the name Farah Giraffe before I saw the art, and I was just thinking because obviously Girafarig has a face and a tail with a face, so I was thinking Farah Giraffe. That's hard to say. I thought it would just be the Pokemon like turning around where the the previously was the tail would be the face and what was the face would be the tail but no now the tail like absorbs the face like and where is it like a like a hoodie almost so yeah. <laughs> kind of strange kind of strange but uh the pokemon itself is also kind of strange so uh it works i i guess if you say so i do uh, like uh, how for all the terrorizations it's very clear like uh i mean this was something that i guess was deduced earlier but since since the uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The terraforms, the crystal forms, give your Pokemon a different type. Uh, They all, the type of crystallization they see depends on the type. Like if it's a flying type, it's a bunch of crystal balloons hanging from their head. Uh, If it's a grass type, it's like a giant sunflower. If it's a ghost type, I think it was just a giant ghost. And I'm like, oh, that's how they designate what it looks like. uh, On like, it's almost like they wear it like a hat while in crystal form. So it'll be interesting to see like how those how all those forms uh, end up looking on all the different Pokemon because it's pretty far reaching. Like as far as I can understand, any Pokemon can do that and they can absorb any type. So we kind of talked about that. Oh, yeah, we kind of talked about this when it was first uh, introduced, how because it is so open ended, you have your instead of being guard banded by your typical this Pokemon is these two types uh, being able to in- incorporate in a way a third type to any Pokemon. So we it's, we don't know exactly how it's going to be balanced or limited or bound yet, but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, it seems very open ended. I think that's just the the ongoing theme of this like entry is like very open ended, both in how you progress and how you play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple other trailers, uh, a game that we talked about the last two weeks, the recently announced Wild Hearts. This is the EA published uh, monster hunting game being developed by Omega Force. We got the reveal trailer last week that we talked about. Uh, and it kind of showcased a lot of the gameplay elements, including like the light crafting elements, uh, several of the monsters that are going to be introduced. Uh, this week, we got a gameplay trailer specifically focusing on one of the monsters that was shown in the reveal trailer, and that is King Tusk. King Tusk. So kind of think of like Beast Ganon mode, only with a planty element to it. So this trailer basically is just like the highlights of a seven-minute hunt between what eventually ends up being three players because it's a member of a three-player co-op game uh, fighting a King Tusk. It showcases a lot of the crafting elements. Like there's like a, a kind of like a zip line. There's a, a catapult. There's a kind of like a propeller hang glider thing that is shown. So, and then, of course, uh, it shows the cases uh, a, f- a few weapon types as well in this trailer. It's it's kind of interesting, like the like like how the weapon types like kind of like evolve. Like when the third player shows up, like it comes like like a like a dual like it, it it comes like it looks like they have like dual blades and then they come together to make a double edge spear and then at some point like they use them they uh, add like another thing to that uh weapon type where it turns like a gigantic shuriken so it makes me like i really wonder how like the weapon types like are represented in the game like if they just like 
or have like different states or like different like I don't know like range types and like close weapon types or melee types. Like yeah, exactly. It seems like yeah, it seems like the the, the weapon like kind of can change that like I don't know if like you have control over it or how you equip it. I'm not sure, but there's definitely like there's definitely a a system in which like you're not stuck in like the same weapon throughout the hunt. It seems like you have mm-hmm. options in the way you want to utilize a certain weapon. Um, it looks really cool. It like that's all I can really say. <laughs> like pretty much, it lo- it looks pretty. It looks really cool. It's definitely different and but in a nice way. Like I'd really like the way that like you utilize like uh, building structures. Like there's like one where like uh, you build a structure. And it's like a gigantic hammer. Like that like bonks <laughs> the king Tonk tusk. There's like another one where it's like about to ram into you and like you you construct like a wall for it to like run into, which is really cool. I'm just imagining a board meeting uh, between uh, EA and Ke- Koei Tecmo executives, and they're like, you know, this this seems like an interesting idea, but it feels like we're missing something. And then just like the uh, who, the person bringing the coffee said, you guys should make something like Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the light crafting, but I appreciate it as trying something different. Rather than just being, we've got Monster Hunter at home. They're like, oh, we can make, you can craft a bomb that you place and then throw a shuriken at, or you can put up a wall really quickly if you know he's going to charge. So, and then I guess I forgot, I'm rewatching the trailer as we discuss it. This third player enters the arena by crafting a like catapult platform, like a sonic springboard, and then jumping on it. <laughs> so, yeah. some fun stuff. Uh, the one thing I do say, is that, so this, this trailer, as indicated by its title, is mostly gameplay. Uh, but it doesn't show any UI, which I kind of get. They want to make it cinematic. They want to make a trailer. But I, I also just kind of wish, like, what does the UI look like? And maybe yeah. the reveal trailer, if I like went through that frame by frame, I could get glimpses of it. But I kind of just wish I saw it here. And I don't know we'll see it eventually. But it's just around like, the oh, corner pretty much. Of- like, it's, it's, just, it's just February, thank God. So it's not like a God, we don't have to worry about it. For like a, it it'll come mm. in, in a reasonable time. Right. So it's not like it's, yeah it's yeah not, we went we uh, went very quickly project had our oh uh, yeah we went very quickly from learning that this project exists at all to getting a title for it to getting a pretty extensive gameplay look at it so hard to have anything to really complain about by the way that they've uh un- unveiled this game in a pretty brisk pace yeah and then we uh we talked about this a little bit previously uh when we were talking about your time with labyrinth of galleria sorry Labyrinth of Refrain, that's the initial game that came out a few years ago. Uh, Labyrinth of Galleria is finally releasing in English uh, uh, next I, year. And, hmm? Can I say something really quick? Yeah, uh, sure. Uh, I'm far from the only person that's uh, played Gallery in Japanese that is uh, feeling this way. I would actually suggest not watching the story trailer because it showcases some characters that aren't revealed, that were not revealed in the Japanese marketing and were very obviously intended to be something you kind of discover in the game. All right. All right. So uh, I, I guess I'll just state this as openly as possible. We have posted on our website a Labyrinth of Galleria, the Moon Society story trailer. So that is there. Uh, but if you have significant interest in this game, based on people who have played the game in Japanese, it sounds like you might want to just go in blind and uh, skip it until you've already played the game. But we do have that trailer up on the site. And again, the release date for the English release is uh, mid-February of next year. Uh, and then the last trailer is one we've kind of already talked about, the game that Adam opened this podcast with, which is the Asteragos Curse of the Stars. Uh, we got a thorough gameplay overview video for that uh, for that game. 
if you listen to Adam talk about it and you're interested in seeing what it looks like or might play like, we do have that trailer up on the site as well. Uh, we'll go through some uh, some dates and maybe a sales update at the very end here. So this is one of the longest titles that I think we've had to talk about on the game on the podcast so far. Warhammer 40k Inquisitor Martyr Ultimate Edition will be releasing on Xbox Series and PlayStation 5 in late October on October 27th. Uh, competing with Star Ocean, so you know, <laughs> big big decisions to be made that day. Yeah. Uh, World of Warcraft. We've, I think, back when it got announced, like way early this year. Uh, it's ninth, I believe, expansion. Dragonflight was announced, and we have a release date for it. It is coming out in late November, uh, November twenty eighth. I haven't. I don't think anyone here has kept up with World of Warcraft in a while, but I feel I, like this I, is I do have. Of- a, I, I I am I constantly communicating with a friend who is keeping up with Val. He's well. He's not not current Val. He's playing Wrath of the Lich King, King Classic. Um, uh, I feel like I know more people that are playing classic than uh, than retail right now. It's funny because he he got banned for a week uh, for like uh, the trading gold, uh, so he has to like catch up with his uh, current like uh, guild now for a raid. So he has to get from level seventy to level eighty within this weekend, pretty much <laughs> to, to catch up on raids. So it's a uh, it's a busy time. At the, the a nice side effect of that of him being banned for a week is he got to focus on uh, Kuro too. Uh, didn't have to worry about about uh, WoW Classic during that time, so that worked out for me and him in that aspect. But now he's just like just doing the grind from seventy to eighty this weekend. Well, so this is something that those that are are, are up to date on World of Warcraft could probably speak to. But I'm reading some of like the the bullet points for Dragonflight, and it's like uh, we'll have a new level cap of seventy. But the, like the level cap was higher than that, right? But then they squished it, yeah. and now they're just like expanding it out again. So it's like, oh, it's kind of a, a strange thing. But, but when a game has been yeah. going, it's so weird Go because, ahead. like, yeah, like you you deal with like you're you're increasingly getting to number bloat again that you'd recently squished down. So now they're like building back up to it again. So, mm-hmm. so MMOs are weird, man. Especially long running MMOs. Yeah, especially one that's going into like it's what sixteenth year. Is it? It's not that uh, old. When did World of Warcraft come out? I don't know. This kind of reminds me of uh, Final Fantasy XIV with Shadowbringers when they had the. Oh no! It is that old. Numbers. Yeah, it is that old. It's like <laughs> they came out two thousand two, right? Two thousand four, according to uh, Wikipedia. Oh, so, Jesus! We're old. So they're probably we're ancient. We're fossils. Not well, as old as Final Fantasy eleven. It's true. Yep. <laughs> couple other release dates uh dragon ball z kakarot is finally getting its uh next gen update also in january in january 13th if anyone's been waiting for that or wants to replay it uh with the updated graphics oh on my birthday there you go oh rats. <laughs> then i guess maybe it's worth mentioning that they actually changed how the game looks a little bit which people seem mixed on yeah it's it's interesting though that well first off the people that are saying oh the the old versions look better when you can look at that one photo with the water and it's like there's no reflections it looks so flat and wrong how do you say that looks better i, I think i think for people like there, there are some people that like feel like that the more quote-unquote simplified visuals are more into the spirit of the anime like that's the only way i can reason with it but i don't know it, yeah. it is different and like whether it's it's more to the wonder, or not is, i wonder yeah. if the pc version will uh, get the updated graphics or not uh, and, we, and by the way, if you do own the game on uh, PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, you can upgrade to the uh, next-gen version for free. 
Yes. And if you don't, there is a next gen physical copy for PS5 and Series X that's uh, 20 bucks, which is honestly not bad. Here's another game that I don't think we've talked about on the site or podcast before, but it is interesting uh, for some of the context around it. And that is uh, we have Atone, Heart of the Elder Tree, is a mythological RPG based on North mythology that is releasing on Switch and PC next year in early 2023. Uh, this is a very artsy game, and the announcement of this console release, uh, I guess console and PC release, did a, get accompanied by an announcement trailer for it. This is interesting because this is another game uh, similar to Various Daylife that originally released as an Apple Arcade exclusive, but is now um, going to be coming to other other services and even has a demo on Steam available to try out if you're interested. So just a, just a few times that we've seen in different contexts where games that were originally on Apple Arcade and nothing else are slowly uh, filtering away from there to be on more um, kind of more open platforms. I was wondering if anyone was going to bring up Fantasian in response to that. I, mean, I, I can't. I can't say. Can't say the F word, dude. Nope. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> it's like I keep. Yeah, th- I keep trying to tell people to play Fantasian. It just doesn't work. And so th- this game has a little bit of a. So the actual game here being announced, Atone Heart of the Elder Tree. It kind of looks a little bit like Sword and Sorcery, or maybe Banner Saga. But yeah, so that one will come out uh, early next year. We don't have a specific date, but it does have a demo on Steam if you want to try it out. And then the last thing uh, for a release date, well, this isn't actually a release date, but something that might be announced soon, is that spotted on a Taiwanese ratings website, we have seen a listing for the Outer Worlds Spacer's Choice Edition. We don't have a lot of context about what this actually is, but... Likely a safe guess. Outer Worlds released back in 2019. It then did have a couple follow-up DLCs um, that I think Adam ended up covering both of those for us. Peril on Gorgon and Myrtle on Arid- Murder on Eridanos. So chances are that this is a kind of bundle pack gold edition of those things packed in, though we do not know that for sure. Don't have a release date or anything other than just the listing spotted on a website. Won't be surprised if this is something that they end up uh, throwing out upon uh, once we get more details on the upcoming uh, sequel to that game. Makes sense. You know, before the sequel releases, which might still be a ways off, um, re-release it for modern consoles with a DLC. You know, makes sense. The original, I mean. And then the uh, the last thing here is something that I think uh, Josh snuck onto the podcast doc right at the end. It's about, oh, uh, we talked last week. Nope, not Chow. Oh, who was this? Chow. Wow. Chow getting bold. I, I appreciate it. So we we talked last week about um obviously Kuro no Kiseki 2 uh released in Japan, and we had uh a chance to talk about it at a very high, spoiler-free as possible level as we could. Uh we did get a sales update for the game from Famitsu and uh Chow. What are we looking at here? It's about fifty if you combine both PS4 and the PS5 versions, so yeah, it's so, like reading Kuro 1 numbers. Okay, so for context here, Kuro no Kiseki 1, uh, first, uh, first week sales was 50,144. Uh, Kuro no Kiseki 2 uh, is 50,707 units. This physical sales across PS4 and PS5. Um, the first game is a little bit different because it only released on PS4 and then a PS5 version came later, way later. Um, so it's performing uh, very identically to the first game, uh, physical sales-wise. Also, and that's- 
I've seen some people say that's bad, and it is because it's not as, it's not selling as well as previous Trolls games. But two things: Falcom's on the record that like other Asian territories in the West are also like more significant to them now than when Cold Steel first started. And two, there's always a drop off when it comes to sequels. And Kuro was billed as something you could start with. And to their credit, even if you do gain a lot from having played the rest of the series, you can totally start with Kuro. It is still a significant drop off when you're comparing it to like just first week comparison sales. Like to Cold Steel 3 was 104,401. For Cold Steel 4, it was 97,158. For Hajimari, it was 83,680. And Kondo has already gone on record and saying, like, you know, the first Kurunokiseki, um, you know, was under uh, below expectations. Um, you know, so the the first Kuro game, like Falcom even themselves considered it, it didn't sell within their expectations. So for the sequel to, you know, only perform just as well as the first one from like from the get-go, only first week sales uh accounted for. And this is this one had a lot more marketing and did a lot of things to try and appease old fans uh in my opinion to its detriment um is not a great look initially right now i would say i'm very interested to see how it does um in other territories um as time goes on obviously because the of course those are important factors as well but i don't think it their strategy with the sequel has paid off at the moment only counting these when you only factor in these uh numbers compared to past trails games so we'll see what they decide to do from here on out obviously they have the they've been teasing the new east game i imagine that's next year's game who knows we don't know yet but i can only imagine um taking in the context and the and the sales data um and what their feelings were on the first game I can only imagine that they're not really happy right now with how this game has been performing in its first week. It's worth noting also that several months ago, when we talked, when we uh, translated that interview with Kondo, where he said that he wants to port the rest of the Trail series to Switch, that he did say that the company is looking into trying to get Kuro on it. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Yeah. Like, because even comparing like the PS4 sales, from when Cold Steel 3 first came out to now, it's like inevitab- an inevitability of the market is that in Japan, like PlayStation in general just does not do nearly as well as back then. Switch yeah, is basically sure. ate up. Like there have been multiple weeks where the Famitsu, well, well, the media creates like top 30 sold games for that week was nothing but Switch titles. No PlayStation whatsoever. So I yeah again it it's it's definitely not as much as i'm sure they wanted but i feel like matching kuro for the sequel is probably probably about what they expected i want yeah i wonder let's see if if it is within their expectations this time around who knows i i just think they've i i think there are things about kuro too that they've made moves to it that leads me to believe that like they really want this to sell more that's why it it definitely does have some DNA as like older games, older arcs in it, like the way that they presented it and the way they marketed it. Um, it leads me to believe that they really want this to sell way better than the first game. 
and to see that it hasn't paid off it's like okay well th- those are the decisions that you that you made you know so we're so back to the scratching board i guess i mean uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt it wouldn't hurt but they, they already tried that with kuro so well they that that's back to the scratching board. <laughs> um, so we'll see i don't know i like best of luck uh i really wonder where that series is gonna well, well what what is next for that series because i was i i'll just say i was sh- shaking my head after that uh kuro too did the switch port from trails from zero release in japan or did they get an earlier uh, switch port from a different developer? They got an earlier switch port from Cloud of Leopard. Okay. And with the uh, with the sales update aside, uh, that kind of covers us for the news. And um, I guess just in time, since we're approaching uh, the end of our third hour here. So yep. kind of a surprising uh, news dump in, in, you know, in lieu of having a lot of major releases early in October. But uh, thanks for everyone here for covering everything so thoroughly from indie RPGs to uh, surprising news out of CD Projekt that we won't see, you know, manifest for several years to uh, stuff that kind of came out of nowhere that we're already looking forward to that's only a few months away, like uh, like Wild Hearts. We have all these uh, news posts, all the trailers that we talked about, including all the features like uh, that James had put up and others uh, up on the website at RPGsite.net. Uh, you can join us on our Discord channel at discord.gg slash RPGsite. Uh, we're also on all the social media platforms. You can follow RPG site on uh, primarily on Twitter, but also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, so uh, no, thank you so much for listening. If you do listen to this podcast on uh, either directly from the website or on Spotify or iTunes or Google Podcasts, so go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review, a comment on our YouTube upload. Let us know how we're doing, what we can uh, keep doing well, and what we might be able to do better. Don't worry. If, if, if you've got some criticism, we can handle it. If yeah, you want no, more uh, updates on uh, if you want more updates on Gundam Witch from Mercury Weekly, you know what which podcast to check out. <laughs> yep. First, it'll be the first timestamp on this one. <laughs> so next week, all right. Will they kiss? <laughs> oh, yeah, and uh, until until you hear from us next week, stay uh, stay safe and take care, and we'll talk to you then.